Hello, Aaron. Yes, it, I believe we're uh, we're free now. <laughs> yeah, the latest version of Skype for Macintosh, I th- or something in the latest system upgrade, but it, I, it's been really behaving. It's been misbehaving here. Mm. Uh, I basically I leave it on all the time, but uh, when I go to sleep or I move from one place to another, I find that Skype is quitting. So, you know, and, and, and I know exactly what happened this time. I tried to change the audio settings uh, during a call, and it crashes Skype. I have to make sure I make the audio, you know, the, you know, the audio inputs and outputs correct before I make the call. Certainly, certainly. Well, we're talking, and sound quality is impeccable. It is, yes. So, um, do you have any topics? I have two topics. Oh, very good. Yeah. Well, you see, you keep asking me, (laughs) you know, and eventually I get the idea that, you know, I mean, basically I got the ideas in the last two minutes. Very good. Very good. uh, And one of them is, and I want you to know that actually it worked out really good. I used the time really well. I'm proud of myself. But... uh, about 20 minutes ago, or what, 624. So anyway, you said just a sec. Yes. <laughs> so assuming that, you know, that you actually meant that, I just decided to sit here. Uh, yes, yeah. I had I had boxes in one hand, iPhone in the other, moving stuff around. Yeah. And I thought, it would so, be yes. helpful to say uh, just five minutes. Believe me, or, if I knew it was going to take five minutes, I would have let you know that at the time. It was one of those things where, yeah, anyway. Okay, so actually you mean a, a reasonable evaluation of the situation back then uh, that just a sec was actually... Uh, an accurate representation of your analysis of the world at that time? At that point, yes. Really? Okay, but so it must have been an extraordinary event. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad you survived. I, I am as well. I am as well. We're moving on from the sec. Okay. Well, no, but this is, I, I just want to go into this, not you specifically, but what I'm saying <laughs> is that it, it, it brought up issues for me because I'm usually pretty intolerant of people who I consider to be wasting my time yes. by, by not doing what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it. Yes. And I, you know, but because you and I already have a relationship. Uh, Very good. You I'm know, glad that I bought a little bit more than a second. Well, you, well, what happens was, is that as I sat here for more than a few seconds, I, I, I got to my next subject, which is gratitude. Ah, very good. You know, which is uh, how lucky I am, you know, to be a conscious entity in the universe. I I think we've probably talked about this before, you know. 99.999% of the universe is hydrogen gas, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. And very little gets to sit up and look around and experience the terrors of living in uh, America, you know. Certainly. So, um and lately, I've been living a lot in that. I've been, that's part of why I'm not very productive much, is that I, I really feel good a lot of the time. I really feel it's all, like it's okay to waste my time. Ah. Well, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of a topic of mind the evening as well, but let's explore your Well, I'm just thinking, like, I spend quite a, not quite a bit, but I spend a fair amount of time, like, just sort of sitting around outside with the dogs. Yes. You know, not much going on, just sort of sitting there, and the weather's been nice, and uh, it's, the dogs are kind of cool. 
and um, and I've been watching movies mm-hmm. and um, doing all sorts of things and working too. Mm-hmm. But I just um, and this you we've talked about this before about this nagging feeling of discomfort that we have to get somewhere or accomplish something and do I don't something. necessarily think that that's I mean we I you've, you've fallen into one of my topics um, uh-huh. for this evening uh, I think we can all use it for different things I mean I I. Uh, I guess I've always described it, including with our conversations, as an affliction on my part. I certainly don't advocate this sense of discomfort. But if you can use it to create something that is, uh, well, that motivates others. or oh, I mean, yeah, I think yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm, I'm yeah. just saying that there's all these ways of being in the universe. And I would they're, agree. They're all valid. I mean, it's just certainly. a matter of a choice. I mean, I, I'm quite comfortable with what other people would call OCD, <laughs> you mm. know. Uh, I can't imagine life without my linguistic compulsion. Mm. And uh, I'm sure other people see that I'm not married, I'm 64, I don't have any money, <laughs> as being a really awful position, and I'm really quite pleased with myself. <laughs> well, it's certainly, it's certainly a view that you advocate strongly in these discussions, and I'm comfortable with that. Well, yeah, yeah. So gratitude is um, was one of the subjects. I just think... People get so focused on on um, what they don't have or what you know that they fail. I mean, and I don't think we should not notice that stuff. It's just I think we need more balance and, hmm. and really to, to really be grateful for the fact that we're able to be here and experience all of this shit. You know, I mean, because really it, might, it would have been a lot easier not to even bother having a universe. You know, a lot less hassle. So, I mean, the very fact that there's a universe at all for us to experience stuff in and that we're in the elite group of stuff that gets to be in this universe, you know, that's pretty cool. Hmm. Okay, so that's the end of that topic, unless you want to talk about that. And I have another topic, a very simple topic. But okay, fine. let's move into your simple topic. Uh, we can we can return to this one. Okay, yeah, this is, yeah. And I want your opinion as to why you think this situation is the way it is. I just went to the store and bought a, uh, a lock for the locker at the gym I go to because I Certainly. somehow managed to lose the other one. Uh-huh. And, you know, I just had learned the combination on the other one. <laughs> uh, know, yes. And now I've got to go and... You know, and so it's going through my what you know combination in my last one. I didn't really like it. it you know, it was like I never could really figure it out for some reason. Mm. And and I'm looking at uh, ten locks here, and and I'm looking to see is the combination here so that I can find it. And no, it's not. It's not visible from the outside. You can't look at the at the label or anything in there and see what the combination is. You have to buy it, open it up, and inside fold it up in high security tape <laughs> is the combination. Certainly. And uh, I lucked out. I got a really good one. I love it. I, I for some reason I guess I respond to numbers in weird ways. But in any mm-hmm. case, this one just felt really good, and I got very lucky. But I'm thinking, why don't they just put the combinations on the outside? What why go to the trouble, <laughs> you know, of of going through this security farce? What's, well, the, what's guess, the point? Why couldn't I just look and pick the one I wanted with the combination I wanted? 
There are two points to that. The first is psychological and the second is practical. Psychological one is that a majority of the people would like to think that these combinations were secret and their act of actually purchasing the lock and removing the secret tape would actually give them uh, an intimate experience. Well, see, but that's not, see, that, you're right, that's, that's certainly, but that's attributable to, see, there's no point in talking, but that's them language monkey. Exactly. That's the first one. I was getting rid of the easy one. The second is that the, what you may be surprised by is how small the set of numbers actually Oh, no, I'm not is. surprised by it at all, and, and how many keys there are that fit your lock. Certainly. You know, yeah. yeah, I'm well aware of that. I, but so, that's just the given, and there's nothing you can do about that. You know. Okay, but both those things, we we both embrace these things, but it may be something that the general lock buying public would not necessarily embrace. No, but why would? The, okay, then the question is, what problem w- would this create? Uh, if the, if it was on the outside, what is it that these people, would they be in horror and complain to the managers? Or would they just not buy them because they think somehow everybody knows my number? No, no, it's not. I mean, my sense with regards to just how these things are mass produced is that there are probably only maybe half a dozen to a dozen possible numbers that they probably produce with these logs. Oh, um, well, that's a good question. I, I can't believe that it's that few. Well, you might be surprised. I might be. You're right. If you could send me somewhere to surprise me, I'd love it. My guess is they're probably on the order of thousands. But You'd hope that there were, but you don't have any definitive proof of that yet, do no, you? No, I don't have any proof of anything. I, no, of course not. And, and Do you have any data on this? Because unless you're, unless you're going to give me some data, this is irrelevant. Well, <laughs> because I'm okay. not going to go look up the information. Okay, I, I don't have any specific data, but I just think in terms of mass production, I would imagine. So, so you're thi- uh, okay. So you're thinking that somehow this would make it apparent that there would be, if they had ten locks, two of them had the same combination, that that would be bad marketing, probably. At least, yeah, at least two of them would have the same combination. And yes, I think, uh, yeah, it probably would be bad marketing for the uh, for the lock company. Well, that's interesting. I'm um, see now. Now I'm thinking somebody ought to go look up this information. I need a secretary. You do. You do. Well, you need an audience that's willing to look up this kind of information yeah, for you. I need but, somebody. Well, some we, listener out there. That's right. Some listener. Here's your assignment. Well, we we do have obsessive kind of mathematical yeah, folk. No, that I think, no there's uh, probably someone out there who does know, or knows exactly. someone who knows, or knows someone who likes to find out these kinds of things. So, so, or so know someone who's lost a sufficient number of locks and bought <laughs> from the same company. That could be too. Well, any information would be much appreciated because I'm certainly not going to do it. Uh, but nevertheless, even assuming all, well, that would okay, that would be a problem. Yeah, I could. That would make sense. Okay, if there are only ten different numbers, you're right. They can't do that because it would just make the whole sham too obvious. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> and I think ultimately, it's a psychological thing anyway. I mean, over any. Well, yeah, you there's know. all that. That's all the monkey business stuff. But I was just trying to think out if there's any really good rationale. Because to me, it would have been a marketing. If I saw two locks and one showed me the combination and one didn't, well, shit, I'm going to buy the one that's got the good combination. Well, unless you see the one that shows the combination. Well, unless you see the one that shows the combination and there are four locks all there with the same combination. Well, yeah, that's I'm but. 
well, if that shows up, then it tells me something. But it might, the universe hasn't given me that data yet. See, Certainly. so I, all I can do is is uh, ponder it sort of in the abstract. You're right. Yes. <laughs> well, so anyway, that was that was just bugging me. I looked at all those locks and I thought, you know, if they all had the combinations on the back, it would make my life much easier. You know, but you're right. That's that's that is a good justification. You know, and that's that's the only one I've been actually. That's the only one I'm aware of because I thought about it for a while. And I couldn't think of any good reason not to do it. In fact, I thought it would be a good marketing ploy. You know, because well, if there was a way, if you made digital locks, for example, where there was a way to digitally encode whatever number you put out, you could then create. Mm. Tens. Can I ask you a question about the quality of the printing of the numbers associated with the actual lock number? Did they look like they were printed, oh. or were they hand-stamped, or how were they... You know, I threw it away, and uh. shame on me for being so <laughs> unconscious. You know, and I do remember vaguely uh, noticing something about the way it was done. It certainly wasn't handwritten. <laughs> okay. But it because, might very well have been, you know, the kind of serial number kind of thing, you know. Certainly. It seemed to me to be relatively easy to, to have. I can't imagine why they'd only have 10. That, that just seems to me, I mean, with modern manufacturing techniques and stuff, I just can't imagine that it would not be possible to have at least thousands of combinations. Well, easily. Uh, two questions. How many numbers were there in the combination? Well, there are three two-digit numbers. Three two-digit numbers. Yeah, okay. up to 35. Up, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. And how much did you pay for the lock? Oh, you know, I don't know, seven or eight bucks, something like that. Okay, so seven or eight bucks, there's no way there's going to be thousands of combinations. This is a single... I mean, my, my feeling is probably what they do is put in maybe four possible combinations for the middle reel, two possible combinations, if that. I mean, it may just be that the middle reel has got you know, seven different possible combinations or something like that. But I really can't see for that price that they would go to any greater step. Well, that's, you know, maybe I'll write them and ask them. Probably <laughs> I won't, but maybe somebody will. <laughs> very good, very good. So now this is an interesting topic. The, the way I thought you were going to take this is the way to memorize numbers. Oh, no, I couldn't care less about that. I mean, I always do remember them. I mean, it's just that I, I, maybe it's a kind of synesthesia or something like that with me. But I, I get certain feelings for certain kinds of numbers, and some of them sort of make sense to me, or combinations of patterns like that, you know. Yeah. And some of them don't. You know, some I just take to immediately. Like the one I got now, I really couldn't be happier for it. I mean, the moment I looked at it, boom, I knew it instantly. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, just being a software engineer, I don't have problems memorizing numbers. I mean, it's, it seems to be relatively implicit in the stuff that I do. Oh, yeah, if you do it all the time, you probably, yeah, you develop the skill at it. I the thing I find really curious is that if I have two or more sets of numbers that refer to the same thing, I oftentimes find it harder to remember those numbers. Well, that makes sense. So it's not a well. I mean, I have peers that don't have that problem. So I think it's something that uh, is distinct with the way that I see numbers in some way. Hmm. But it is very curious the way. For example, when I when I spent time with Wozniak 
I a couple of times changed my cell phone number. And he had a minder who was uh, obsessive with how he internally learnt these things. And he would just scream the cell phone number at me at random times because he thought that that was the easiest way for me to remember this number. (laughs) And that did it work? No. I mean, this is funny, actually. The way I answer the phone, my wife makes quite a deal about the way I answer the phone, but this is based on this guy's linguistic programming as well. I used to answer the phone, Tom Barbelay speaking. And then this fellow said, well, I'd like to talk to Mr. Speaking. Where's Mr. Speaking? Put Mr. Speaking <laughs> right, on the line. Yeah, right. Anyway, and he went on later, yeah, so now I just yeah. say Tom Barbelay. And my wife says, this is the most ridiculous way to answer the phone. No one answers the phone with their name. <laughs> so what yeah. am I supposed to say? But no, it's funny. Well, to so, say- so, you, so, you, so you answer the phone. You don't know who's calling. You pick it up and, and you say what? Tom Barbelay. Well, and if they don't know who I am, they usually get very confused at that yeah. point. They say, I'd like to speak to uh, Yeah. Well, I think know. that's a perfectly reasonable way to answer the phone. I would agree with you, Hera. We're, yeah. we're preaching to the choir here. So in terms of, um, in terms of uh, possible other topics, no, I, I don't necessarily want to immediately go back to this notion of uh, comfort because I just have a few catch-up things that I wanted to put out there. Um, well, with regards to the, the self-publishing stuff and the uh, ads, uh, let's start with the self-publishing because I talked a little bit last time about moving to Lulu, and I think I will stay with Lulu, but their publishing rates when it involves ISBNs and getting on Amazon and these kind of things is considerably uh, greater than the numbers I gave. The numbers I gave were associated with their... Um, they they define it by the quality of paper, which I think is particularly perverse. Although the quality of paper that they sell on Amazon is is very good quality paper, and absolutely no problem holding the the copy in my hand. Um, no problem with that. But they define it by the quality of paper, which means I can do internal like press or other uh, copies for the original price I quoted, which I think was about four twenty to four eighty without any trouble. The Amazon ones, uh, which have a finer paper, uh, better format, hold better in the hand, are seven eighty. So there's a considerable oh, okay. increase yeah. in price. But you know, yeah, I mean, so you it, got a really good, nice book. Exactly. Yeah, yeah very much so. Yeah. That holds together, has a nice quality of paper, yeah. reads well. I yeah. can't complain. Yeah. So that's that's the distinction. But I, I just wanted to put that out there, folks. For following, actually, I've received correspondence from a listener. Uh, who's very interested in Lulu, and I, I want to put it out there for folks who are listening and who are interested in Lulu. I'm now, I was going to bring up my browser first, but I'll bring up my browser now and go through the ads because the Stone Ape ad, which we talked about previously, Stone Ape with all the other related stuff, concluded at $30. It had an exposure of 207,000 of those impressions, uh, 207,279. Uh, for folks listening in, out of that, we had 26 click-throughs 26 from that. 26 out of 200? 270, okay, sorry, 207,279 okay. Two, That's one in a thousand. No, it's it's roughly, <laughs> let me get the stats up, it's about roughly or one, one in 10,000. Yeah, it's, it's closer to that. It's roughly okay. one in eight. But let me just bring up the actual numbers. Nine uh, divided by 26. It is, yeah, one in 7,972. 
and some change. <laughs> so basically, it's better that, than one in twenty thousand. <laughs> anyway, go on. Yeah. From my perspective, because um, it's my money, I'm not going to be running that ad again for 30 bucks. unfortunately. I think uh, it, it provided some interesting statistics, but what it really showed me was that, as you describe, Stone Ape is not a thing that people have in their mind already, and the way in which we can kind of convey that to them, it's not a, a self-selecting group. In contrast to this, in fact, I've actually changed the way I've done the Model Rail Radio one. I was previously paying per click with Model Rail Radio. The clicks through were so consistent, I moved to paying per thousand because it was a far cheaper uh, amount. And for uh, 43,476 on Model Rail Radio, we got 65 click throughs. Mm -hmm. So that is uh, considerably closer to the magic number. What is the Uh, magic number? Well, <laughs> uh, some well cl- cl- closer than uh, whatever the last one was seven thousand. <laughs> so let me put in the. Uh, so that was every six hundred ninety. It got down to about five hundred. So every five hundred ad impressions earlier, like uh, over the weekend, was just phenomenal. Uh, we had solid six click throughs per. Uh, per day over the in fact over the four day and this is for the model period. railroad yeah this is the so. model rail radio one uh, which has reached twenty dollars it begs the question I don't it's currently and this is with a mixture of uh, per thousand and per click it's currently rating at thirty one cents per click versus uh, the original stone ape which was a dollar fifteen per click yeah. which just out of the ballpark basically. I then ran from, I don't know how long ago, let me see where it actually starts jutting up, last, well, a week, basically a week and a bit ago, I created another Stone iPad just to see how the wording affected that. And I've clicked on that, so we'll actually go through to that statistic. That one uh, was bored with old media, question mark. And the only selection group I think I picked with that was epistemology, internet radio, and podcasting, which means the folks already listen yeah. to podcasts beforehand. And that out of, let me see, that's probably actually on par with the uh, with the other one. So that's uh, 52,000 so far and for 14 clicks. So, okay, that's roughly half the other Stone Ape. Uh, one in terms of actually roughly double, sorry, the other stone yeah. name. Uh, so I think there's probably some magic wording. The real question yeah. is whether I'm going to spend ninety dollars actually finding that, or yeah, uh, yeah, or maybe you can just experiment and just you know, yeah, use other means. I think it's yeah. still far. It's still far less. I mean, it's ninety eight cents per. Well, click. what would be the point of marketing ads for the stone ape? podcast there's absolutely no point what i'm using it for is a good is way to get to a sense ex- of, yeah right to yeah, do what a little research thing. here exactly yeah. exactly yeah and with you may Ranger, have something that would be worth advertising well i mean maybe this thing this this book thing you know let's see how that might yeah, work all and sorts of float 30 dollars yeah. and see how that goes yeah. um but yeah so it's been an interesting experiment i think in general these stone ape ones from my perspective, in terms of value for money, get a thumbs down. The Model Rail Radio is an interesting kind of hovering thumb because I think I've had a lot more success. The Model Rail Radio... Have people been showing up uh, yeah, in, your, the, in your podcast as a result of the ads? 
No. The thing about model rail radio is that it has almost, you could almost line a piece of paper along it in terms of a 20% increase in listenership per month. It's growing at a phenomenal rate. Hmm. Uh, we're now, I think we broke 8,000 listeners last recording, and we've got another recording coming up in terms of downloads within the, whatever, the first month or what have you, which is not equivalent to the previous one. But we've, we've broken 8,000, and this one at this rate will probably be about 8,500 or more. So the growth rate associated with model rail radio is completely independent of these little things. We may have gotten a slight well, yeah. blip on that, yeah. but it basically... Well, you don't know that, but you certainly have got a, 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 yeah, a niche of people, a group of people who are interested in what's going on there. Yeah. And they're also doing a vast amount of advertising themselves. I mean, if you just if you look in the searches, they're posting in forums, they're posting in mailing lists, they're really doing all the publicity associated with model rail radio. It's quite phenomenal yeah. listener base. And it's now gotten to the stage where, for example, we announced the show topic last show for this show. We have seven speakers lined up. I probably won't even be on the call. You know how TalkShoe operates. I mean, seven yeah. speakers on TalkShoe is just a nightmare. So my perspective is probably that I will hover in the background, bringing in and out callers and kind of directing the uh, show from the chat room and probably going out to dinner with my wife for an hour, and I'll end up with four and a half hours of audio, and you know, probably four hours will come out based on that. But it is an amazing group. It is very much what you described in terms of this notion that these people clearly have their own idea of who they are, and all you need to do is put the content there that maps completely over that, and then they will just come flocking to it. Well, the ones who are right for it will. Exactly. exactly. All you got to do is get them the information. Yeah. (laughs) But the the trick is that it's it's word-related. Oh, you mean the... what three words. Well, three words. Model rail radio is yeah. all these people need to know yeah. to know this yeah. is something. Yeah, this, yeah. and it, and it yeah, it identifies them and their interest in, in three words. You're right. Yeah, and if you could do that, well, that's part of you know. We had talked last time about my lack of satisfaction with the word with the name Stone Ape, mm-hmm. and uh, I, and one of the reasons is I don't like the word Stone in there. Because mm. it really has nothing to do with me, mm. and uh, and if I, if and if each of us has a representation, I mean that was your rationale for it is that we we each sort of have a representation in that name. Then I'd much rather have it be language ape. Mm. It's a little bit longer. It doesn't quite have the punch. Well, I'm j I am do not I'm not interested. I'm just giving you my opinion. It's your show. You'll do whatever okay. the hell you want to. Yeah. Um yes, it's not Stone Ape. You're right. It's a whole different thing. And I would prefer to be represented by the word language rather than by the word stone. Because Fair enough. Uh, you know, I'm just not nobody gives a shit about Heron Stone. Nobody even knows about Heron Stone. I understand that, but you also I mean the the Stone Ape as a thing for me is also affiliated with Sun Wukong. It's also affiliated with, uh, I guess, what you talk about in terms of the Eastern tradition. I think the Stone Ape, it also has elements of Terence McKenna. If there was a D after Stone, then it would be Terence McKenna's stuff. So I think all these things as a kind of grouping seem to, for me anyway, sits... Well, that's the key. It's for you. 
<laughs> well, you're not doing any publicity associated with no, these recordings, Terrence. No, you're, no, you're Aaron, so, I mean, right. I, no, I know. I'm not going to. That's why I don't really want to argue about it. I, I yes. understand you have a different take on it than I do. I'm just giving you my take on it. And yes. of course, you'll do whatever the hell you want to do with your so, podcast. Why don't we put this out to the listeners? Why don't we put out to the listeners that we will change the name of this podcast in the new year based on listener contributions? So within well, the next... Taking their, taking their views into consideration, not exactly. necessarily based on them. No, certainly. This is exactly my point. What, what, what I'm asking for the listenership to this here podcast to do is preferably via the Facebook group, but also possibly via email, to propose a new name for this recording. We've had remarkable success. What I'll do is continue on the Stonate feed for a few shows under the new recording's name and relaunch the new recording and do all the other stuff associated with that and have some legacy crossover. But if there is a better name that the listening audience can think of, I'm more than happy to float that. And similarly, Heron, if, I mean, if, if, if by pure, you know, I mean, if there's a better name, I'm more than happy to go with it. Well, it's better is in the ear of the beholder in the case. There is no way to objectively decide. Well, ultimately, al- no, ultimately, uh, it is your baby, <laughs> you know, and, okay. and you can and you will take in everything into consideration. And if you feel like changing the name, you sure as hell will. <laughs> I would I would agree, but I'm, what I'm saying is that there there's possibility for some external contributions to actually yeah, it'd be interesting to hear. Yeah, they may have better ideas than we do. Yeah, probably um, probably. Not, but <laughs> 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 I'll go with the fact that they might. You know, well, I'm open they, to the fact <laughs> that they could. That I'd, certainly would be fun. You know, yeah. I mean, what do you think we'll get? Two responses. Uh, well, that's a challenge to the listeners. Every single listener, as you're listening to this right now, write down your favorite possible name. It could just be some... And conjun- I vote for language monkeys. Not language uh, eight, but language monkeys. <laughs> I think that's your own podcast, Darren. I think you should rebrand well, no, your I'm own just, I'm just... Well, I might, actually. It's not about... Well, yeah, but never mind. Anyway, I'm just saying that that would be my vote for this. Very good. Okay. And if everybody else likes that, well... It's, it's up to you, really. That's it. Well, if I get a, I my feeling is that we have an eclectic group of listeners, and I'm sure that there's some name out there that we can we can come to. Do One, you really what, think that? There, how many people do you think actually listen to these things and like like look forward to the next one and sit down and listen to it? How many well, people like, do you think there are? Oh, I mean, I think obsessively, probably. Well, I don't mean obsessively, but I mean who? who well, really let's start enjoy... with the obsessive. You let's start. Okay, with the all right. Let's start with the obsessive. Okay. Obsessive. I would say that there are probably. Maybe 15 people just from correspondence. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying 15 people listen to this thing every week, listen to you and me and you and other people. (laughs) It's not every week. It's whenever I can be bothered. Well, whenever they're up. But you're talking about Stone Ape now. Yes. Okay. Well, that's... How many people are in the Facebook group currently? I mean, in the 20s. So my view is in order to just join the Facebook group, and to have corresponded with me. The people that have corresponded with me, uh, let me think, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, I would say there will probably be somewhere, you know, let's say a dozen. 
Okay. All right. Well, that's I'm, I'm impressed. I mean, because I, I can't admit, I don't listen to this stuff. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. I can't imagine why anybody. I just do this because it's fun talking to you, Tom. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'll take that, Aaron. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I think the um, the nature of the discussions that we have tend to be focused on particular things, but we also go off in crazy tangents. And the, the feedback that I've received is that uh, people like the tangents as much as, uh, as anything. When we argue, when we rarely argue, probably only on maybe two or three of the recordings, mm-hmm. I've received negative correspondence about that. Really? But maybe we shouldn't even put out the, the ones where uh, either or both of us oh, approach I'd, it. I'd really like to... I wish you would share this stuff with me. Okay. I will do so uh, in Can the you just forward it? I mean, this is email stuff, right? Uh, let me think now. A lot of this is just via Facebook chat, and I get it through a wide variety of points of feedback. Oh, okay. I mean, for example... Um, uh, oh, I can probably, live without okay. it. Actually, it's probably just as well that I don't get it. You well, know, look, then I'll, I'll start playing to the fucking audience. <laughs> you screw those guys. Right? Yeah, the hell with them. Yeah, so... Uh, the, our, our favorite communist listener, Jonathan Reinhardt in particular, was, was disturbed by uh, our, uh, I think I released it under the term Embrace the Irritability. It's the one where you have the cold, we talked about uh, your writing and various other things, and he, he found that quite upsetting to listen to, but he did listen to it three times. Interesting. And so, did he have any other analysis of it, or...? Um, he felt a great degree of uh, compassion for you, Heron. I think that was the paraphrasing his terms, but that's basically what he said. A great deal of compassion for me. Yes. How, how nice. <laughs> yeah. Compassion. I mean, I think of compassion for, you know, a baby deer that has just been run over by a truck. <laughs> I think that's not the metaphor that he used, but it could be something like that. <laughs> okay. All right. So anyway, well, anyway, uh, it's, yeah, it's probably just as well that I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> yes, I, I, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, uh, my my current life is very much about uh, well, in in the after hours, very much about this origin of design book that just won't go away. So um, yeah, I think uh, life has just moved in a, a variety of strange directions. There was there were two topics that I wanted to talk about in addition. Um, one was the Joneses, which I saw. Oh yeah. And I thought it was just. I mean, it, it it could have been produced by Heron Stone, ladies and gentlemen. I think if you were to capture a, a portion of what you talk about, it was really very much represented in that film. I, I think well, so. that may be why I liked it. <laughs> you know, For be. me, there's just, there's just a single element to that film, and then basically the rest of the film writes itself. Yeah, so, oh, I agree with you. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's yes, <laughs> it's a very, it's a, but that's what it takes for people to get it. Apparently, hmm. I think it may still have been too subtle for some people. You know, really. No. Well, for, yeah, well, for if that's too subtle for that's not too subtle. They're just too fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not going to be for everybody. That's right. Not everybody is gets it, you know. Most people are too brain damaged. They, you know, they don't mm. and they probably aren't going to get it. But if there's anybody who could possibly get it, man, that movie ought to say something about it. Yes. Well, it just came as a surprise to me. I guess, you know, when you start off, you you know there's something a little strange about the family, but 
the fact that they don't reveal it until I, I found that to be such a great revelation through when you finally get, ah, this is not a family at all. This is a business. <laughs> you know, well, you're giving the spoiler away. Such, That's the spoiler. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Well, you can cut that out if you want to. I'll believe it in. I don't think it was a. I, I mean, I think it's a film that's, you know, if, if you go. Ironically, this is the irony. I, um, I have this. I don't know when it even began, but I have this tradition at this time of the year to clean out, um, which is the whole origin of why I was carrying boxes and why this call took longer than expected. Mm. But I clean out, um, like magazines and books and things like that, oh. and I give them to friends at this time of year. Good idea. Uh, and I have your address, so I could actually do it to you as well. You uh, could. And it's a very cleansing... I mean, I, I think I'm probably... I have certain Buddhist elements to You're a to pagan me. at heart. It's the winter solstice. <laughs> you have until December 21st to... to that's the day. To cleanse. Well, well that, that's the, the turnaround point in the universe. On this planet, <laughs> everything changes. Yes, but I think the thing that strikes me is my uh, in-laws are kind of hyper-consumerist around this time of year. Mm. And when I first encountered it, I was quite enchanted by it initially, and then it's just gotten sickening. Yeah, it's it's a pathology. It's It's, American capitalism. Very much much so. But also, I never get anything that is – it's literally like receiving – a box of junk. Yeah, I mean, it, I know it. I know. Listen, I at this Starbucks I used to go to three days a week. These three ladies would come in there about the time I did, and mm. they'd have shopping bags full of shit they bought. Yeah, three days a week, and they were all very. They were driving a Mercedes and wore very nice clothes, and they were good looking and healthy. And uh, and they'd come in and sit down at this table and look through all the shit they just bought. Yes. <laughs> here's, here's the thing oh, my, my in-laws are in steel so last year and this year too business wasn't particularly good so they cancelled the gift giving last year and although I sent stuff to my family in Australia it was a huge liberation to me because the main thing the main thing that I find is the the lack of authenticity of receiving these things which are on some oh, yeah. level, really quite disturbed. <laughs> I agree. The whole thing is just pathetic. It's pathological monkey mm. business. I mean, mm. you're absolutely right. It's, mm. it's and also sold to children. I mean, this is a, it's an indoctrination uh, thing. It is so, part of the old culture that needs to go away. Yeah, yeah. So I guess my my version of this, which has got nothing really to do with this time of year, I just do it more hurriedly because I notice. I don't know. My, I just maybe it's something to do with the light levels, but I become visually more aware of the amount of clutter that I have around me that is yeah. completely utterly unnecessary. So, and moreover, it's clutter that other people would enjoy. So yeah. I kind of collect it together. And if people only enjoy two or three items out of the stuff that I send them, that doesn't really matter because they can pass. They can, they can follow it. They up. can throw it away. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> pass it on or do whatever. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, so yeah, I think I think um, that's a great tradition, and I think if you embrace the you know the natural cycles of the planet as your mm. rationale for it, mm. uh, I think uh, you would feel more connected to realize that this is part of your yearly ritual uh, to begin the new year on December twenty first. <laughs> mm. mm. I yes. do, I do somewhat the same thing, you know. Uh, I, I haven't been. You know, actually, you've inspired me 
to this year do an especially good cleansing. <laughs> Very good. Because Very it's, good. it's time. Very good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. But anyway, so I was going through uh, magazines and books while I was watching the Joneses to assemble these parcels to send on to people. Uh, so it was one of those kind of curious juxtapositions. Well, that, you uh, didn't actually see the movie. You, you, <laughs> you know, you were multitasking, which oh, is yeah, okay. I, the music, the, obviously, the, the movie didn't engage you like it engaged me. Mm. I was totally oh. engaged in it. I thought it was, it was great fun. Yeah. Mm. No, it didn't engage me. You were absolutely right. Yeah. It was. Well, that, uh, that, that's all you need to say, really, because yes. if it didn't engage you, your analysis is irrelevant. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, because you have, you weren't engaged with the the thing, which is a rightful choice. There are lots of movies. No, no, no. Look, let me start off here. I gave, look, to start off here, Aaron, I initially was not doing this while I was watching the film. I initially sat down, lights off, anticipated. No, I understand. It didn't engage you. No, 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 no. Because I, I laid everything out, lights off, watching this film yeah. with the anticipation that there was going to be a Heronstone revelation associated with it. After the first half hour, it just didn't. And that, so, yeah, I mean. I know it didn't. I got gotcha. you. I understand yeah. that completely. And that happens to me in all sorts of movies that, you the know, other thing I'll great say. movies, but, yeah. you know, that just don't engage me. Yeah. The other thing I'll say is that I have a really strong visual aversion to seeing actors that have had substantial amounts of plastic surgery. <laughs> and that film, both the male and female lead, had noticeably large amounts of plastic surgery. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, like said. so that's not that's a personal aversion, yeah. but I really i I find it. Well, I mean, I've had a substantial amount of plastic surgery. Yeah, I mean, but, it is yeah, there's a, yeah, but yeah, that's exactly why. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I know the Something pain. I know psychologically yeah. what you have to do in order to get like that and how completely uncomfortable it is. And the notion that these people who were remarkably attractive <laughs> to begin in theory with. to start off with <laughs> yeah. went through this lunacy indicates quite strongly their psychology. Well, no, it's their, well, it's their business sense, let's say. Not at all. <laughs> so plenty of actors and actresses at their age that haven't had the... Have I haven't had any work. Well, listen, I don't. You no, know, I'm certainly not going to get into. I understand exactly what you're saying yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's okay with me if you didn't like the movie. I I loved it. Didn't say I, I didn't it was, like it. I didn't yeah. say I didn't like it. I'm just saying that it was a one idea film where yeah. once you. I mean, I did fast forward through sections of it because just the long panning through yeah. the suburbs for extended periods of time. I'd just basically seen in the first. So, I mean, I guess in terms of films, well, for see, me... Well, the difference between being engaged in the movie and, and not, yeah. you know. Uh, if you, I mean, I know I get a sense of roughly where you live, but have you ever lived in American suburbs like that? Oh, well, not that upscale. No, shit, nothing nearly like that. Was there an element of lifestyle porn talking, in it for you? I'm sorry, what? Was there an element of lifestyle porn in it for you? Lifestyle what? What's the last Porn. P-O-R-N. Oh, um, I'm not sure I understand what that even means. Well, what I'm saying is that I I mean, I haven't lived in those kind of neighborhoods. I've had people I've known. I mean, when I've said time at Wozniak. I know people who have lots of money, but I've never had any. Okay. But I guess I guess the the thing I find those neighborhoods to be really abhorrent 
I mean, really strongly abhorrent in, in my own um, thinking. And uh, they exist here as well. They exist in gated communities in Las Vegas. I met with a couple who run a artificial intelligence investment fund uh, that humoured my, my wife and I for... Um, for a meal one time with the view that I was going to go and talk to their wealthy friends. But anyway, enough on that. Um, so, I mean, I've been into those kind of communities and obviously Wozniak and the people, some of the people I knew in the Bay Area lived in those kind of communities. But I find them almost physically sickening. To well, see, I think that, I, I, I don't even think that was important. I think what they are, it's the same where I live. In the neighborhood I live in, it's just without, without so much money. But the mentality is exactly the same. And I think that's what was good about the movie, is that people who ex- accept that lifestyle because they're poor and, and reject it in the rich people because it's so outrageous, it's going to help them see that they are the victims of the same thing. You know, if they condemn the, the, what's going on in that movie... Hopefully, they'll at some point be more likely to see the very thing in themselves. At least that's my thinking. Hmm. Yeah, I guess. I guess this. I guess there's that element there. Well, for me, that was what, what I found so interesting is that what they were saying was really subversive stuff. But they're devote. They're aiming it away from the middle class, aiming it at the rich. But it's exactly the same thing. You know, that's exactly what the people next door to me do. Do you think, though, I think it could have been considerably more savage in its treatment. I think there were elements that were actually quite sympathetic at the treatment. I, I think there's you could make a hundred different movies about that subject, and I think they'd all be valid. I, I don't see that as a criticism of this movie. This is one path through that territory. It doesn't happen to coincide with your own ideas about how you might take it through that territory. But I don't think your ideas about how you think it should be make invalidate in any way what the filmmaker thought he I, I would agree. I would agree. The point I was saying was that um, you're right. It was a film that was very much framed for a particular audience, and the fact that probably, well, I don't feel that I was in the audience, and I guess you probably don't feel that you were in the audience in terms of the message of the film being applied specifically. But... I don't know. I think, um, well, I mean, I think we've given, we've given a mutual... Well, let me just say I thought it was engaging. I had fun watching it and, and mm. giving myself to it. I turned the lights out, set up the movie, and a lot of times uh, I do the same, you know, with a lot of movies. Uh, I'll, I, I, every movie I watch, I expect to be totally engaged by. It doesn't happen more than 30% of the time. <laughs> you know, a lot of the time I really begin to lose interest and in, in maybe uh, I'll reduce the movie to another screen and do something and watch it maybe or just quit. So, you know, I think that's all valid. It's just each movie. But that movie, I just fully enjoyed it. And probably because I thought I could see how it might be an effective tool to manipulate the middle class consumers, you know, into seeing who they are. Um, like I, say, I just thought, and, and the, reve- the revelation, uh, well, we already said it, uh, of what's actually going on there, I, that just blew my mind. I'd never thought of anything like that before. 
I mean, actually, it's probably not a very good marketing campaign. It's probably well, too the expensive. Point made, the point that they made, which is very true, is that the neighbor's wife, her scheme is actually very heavily... I mean, when I, when I was in Australia, I stupidly joined the Jewish Youth Association when I first enrolled because I thought that there, were, there may be some kinship associated with the anti-Semitism that I'd experienced independently of being Jewish. And uh, the fellow who was the head of that was some Amway related, or not Amway, <laughs> some other affiliate. And he would set up these meetings where it was purely about him trying to sell facial cream and vitamins <laughs> to me, and it was just obscene. So, I mean, th- th- these things do actually exist out there. Oh, and then, I know. Uh, oh, all, yeah, yes. yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy. It's amazing. Well, it's, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of work to be done, isn't there? There is. Yeah, there is. <laughs> but um, so yes, I, I, I look. I'd recommend it to others. I I think um, there are probably listeners that uh, would get benefit from. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I, actually, I think maybe it would be a good idea because I don't think a lot of people have seen it, I and mean, it might be a good idea to take the spoilers out of here. Yeah, you know, we kind of already said that. I mean, when you first, I mean, I haven't taken the initial spoilers out. And quite frankly, I don't think I knew what it was about prior to seeing it because you had really? basically told me last time. Oh, yes. I? Oh shit! Yes. I'm sorry. It yeah. doesn't matter. That, that um, may have actually tarnished the whole thing with me if I'd gone in completely. Yeah, you know, yeah. I said shut up. I think because, like I say, if you knew that 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 is what hooked me. Yeah. Because I mean, because it totally turned my reality around. I I knew something. I mean, there are a bunch of clues to it from the very beginning. Yeah. But you know, I mean, movies are weird. You don't know what to trust. You know. But so, I was on edge, and then all of a sudden, the whole thing turns around, and it's a completely different situation. I thought that was just brilliant, and it totally captured me. Yes. So yes. I apologize uh, if I, I I remember I said something, but I thought I was being cryptic enough. Unfortunately, no, apparently I was, wasn't. Uh, no. So anyway, maybe the listeners already know what the film was about. Um, anyway, so that was that was my first, uh, and my wife uh, my wife has actually seen in uh, what was it the boy in the striped pajamas? Yeah. So um, and I she said, why have you got this written down on a piece of paper? And I said, well, that was one of the films that Aaron recommended with the Joneses underneath. Um, and she said, oh, I've, I've seen that film. And we initially kind of wandered through the description that you gave. Yeah. Uh, but I will, I will track that one down and, and seek that one out as well. And yeah, I don't it, think... The, yeah. the idea that it's somehow about the... Con- I mean, I don't think it's really about the concentration camps at all. <laughs> you know, no. it's, it's... I mean, they're there, and they're, they're certainly a part of it, but it's really about that upper crust of uh, the financial elite and uh, how they can justify damn near anything to themselves. Yes. You know, it's, yes. uh, it's real interesting. And especially, like I say, with their nice British accents, it's just... Very good. <laughs> it's just great. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I had, the, I had the unusual pleasure of taking four and a half days off work for this Thanksgiving festival. My wife and I do exactly the same thing every year. She goes and spends Thanksgiving with her relations, and I stay here and work on the multitudes of things yeah, that right, are yeah. my backlog, basically. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. You try to, <laughs> to catch try up. To yeah. Catch up, yeah. So um, the only, the only um, uh, like mild, like, other thing that I did was watch um, 
There was a British series that was made just before I left called Battlefield Britain, which is basically a father-son team that go to all the various battlefields, well, a, a very small number of the battlefields in the UK, and then talk about the various military tactics and things associated with, with that. And it's a, for me, I use it as a recollection that the UK is both my past and also my future. So I watch it very much in that framing because I find it very difficult to watch a series of things from the UK, particularly the time that I was there, um, because it just reminds me of how, I don't know, the movement to the US in large part, in terms of my uh, positive life, in terms of my you know general life, has been a substantial minus. So it's a it's kind of trough reminder thing. So after watching the Joneses, I then had... Uh, Battlefield Britain to to work with my psychology through uh, you know being here versus in the UK. Yeah. Do you have you have nothing to add to that? <laughs> well, I, I I'm a little surprised when you said you see uh, Great Britain as your past and your future. Are you planning on moving back there? So there's no way that I could stay. The retirement that I have in the UK is so much better than anything that could be offered to yeah. me here. I have no... You actually I mean, think you're going to retire? And that, that the world is going to be the kind of place where you can retire in? Well, the there, there are two things that need to happen in order for my retirement fund in the UK not to be there. Both of these things are highly likely to occur. The first is that the British government would need to be particularly eliminated it's it's basically a public private retirement fund yeah and my perspective is the money and the sense of it being there and all these kind of things are effectively meaningless to me i just don't particularly like living where i do in the u.s oh that makes sense yeah so in that regard if it's a motivating factor and i can't see myself returning to australia then it needs to be there it particularly needs to be there as a married man because I need to identify to my wife quite clearly that we are here, we will pay off this house, but when the house is paid off here, my bonds with regards to the U.S., I have done my time. <laughs> the, real is, the real question is whether I will take citizenship here or whether I'll just go back to the U.K. Well, why would you take citizenship here? Because there are certain, there are certain legal things here that, for, for example, I can't deport you you're treated with a different perspective while you're here. When you're not here, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, okay. I, I was just curious because I can't. So, I'd like to renounce my citizenship. Oh, believe me, I would. I would renounce. <laughs> I mean, I'd renounce my Australian citizenship, aside from the fact that I still have family living there, and you know, I don't want to be hassled when I enter the country. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, yeah, no, I think the whole notion of citizenship is yeah, pretty important. Well, I'm a citizen uh, of Earth, but I don't know yeah. who's going to give me those credentials. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, none of the nation states, that's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, I don't know. I, I like to think of things in terms of the temporal nature of them. And uh, certainly by having that thing there as a, um, I guess, a financial constraint or incentive or whatever you want to call it, um, is a good motivator, at least to justify to uh, language monkeys that may come in my way. Uh, so yeah, that that is my justification. But I also think the quality of life that I had in the UK was vastly superior to the quality of life that I've had here. Yeah, I well, I, I don't understand. 
the whole idea of the way most people appear to live their lives just strikes me as really awful. <laughs> you know, going to work 40, 50 hours a week at a job they don't like, mm-hmm. and then coming home and watching TV and going to sleep and getting mm-hmm. up and doing it again, then watching football on the weekends. Yeah. Whoopee. <laughs> I do that without the television. I replace basically doing stuff that I enjoy and feel, you know. Yeah, there's a difference. Much. Yeah, there's a difference if you're doing something that has some some value in in it to well, you. Yeah, value to you. I think that's yeah. critical. But I mean, the the notion of still doing the fifty hour weeks and then coming back and doing the stuff that has. I mean, for example, in this Origin of Design book, I'm currently arguing with a fellow associated with whether the academics that in his mind defined artificial life are still a beneficial quantity to continue to, I guess, eulogize, or whether we should just get on with defining what's in the present and what will be hopefully in the future and work from there, because the history, as far as I can see it, gives absolutely nothing to do with what is going on in the present. That's fine for the historians. historians. The historians, I mean, you're right. The notion of a historian is not necessarily someone who actually digs and uncovers new and pertinent yeah, no, information. no, they're historians. Actually, I felt yes. the same way about philosophy. Yes. I wasn't interested in the history of philosophy, although I read a bunch of philosophers, but mm. I was more interested in current work. Mm. <laughs> you know, the same, it's the same thing with what you're talking about. Mm. So another thing that I'm exploring currently, when I, I, when I get through this, this current um, batch of writing is um, this idea of uh, transcendent consciousness. And it's something that mm-hmm. we've talked about with regards to breaking through... Uh, uh, what's the term that you use with regards to... Not the wall or the veil of language, but this kind of metaphor, that once one breaks through that, mm-hmm. it acknowledges that whatever is going on is just uh, you know a thing which is independent of you know the... the yeah, it's not language, whatever exactly. it is. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So this I find really fascinating because I think that there is a possibility for really strong parallel narrative. And the thing that strikes what is that? me... You're going to tell what me that what means, you mean by that. What, yeah. what that means is... Uh, so, I mean, for example, you, you, you potted through the, the 93 writing. The idea is that you can almost have um, not even an alter-ego discussion, but at least two layers of narrative which describe the same situation described fundamentally by the same person but one is uh, the language that is used that they use and have to use in order to deal with the external world and the other Mm. is something which is independent of that and actually probably considerably more interesting and the interplay between these two narratives Give a greater Ooh. dimension to the story than well, I just like that idea. That's a yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was an, in part part of the ninety three writing, but I think can actually be used to quite greater degree of insight with regards to and why how these two might relate to one another, exactly. whether they're even aware of each other. Exactly. See, I think that I think that may be the case, but I think in most people, there's almost no connection between the two. I would agree, and I think what is interesting is that the um, the ability to deal with various shocking circumstances or moving through transition or these kind of things, you know, general experiences and extreme experiences 
very much lend themselves to the interplay <laughs> with these two things. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. <laughs> exactly. So I'm I'm very interested in exploring this in writing, and I've kind of written a few pages and written a few outlines, and I'm getting a sense in my own mind about what this actually means. But more importantly, this is going to be a, a, a text document. Certainly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. But more importantly, and, and you're going to be two monologues. Not necessarily monologues. I think the the nature of a monologue is that it um, will one will be an account and one will probably be a monologue. I think, but I'm well, but even I'm gonna, even the the account as I'm saying uh, the account itself is a mon a monologue. I mean because that's well, except you is... refer to what people say, and there there is an external reality that can be described yes, it's not yes but yeah. that's not language though that's what we just got through saying is whatever it is that's really going yeah. on yeah. is not yeah. language the minute you turn into language you've got a monologue yeah. there's no way around so, that yes so i think the the thing that interests me is the um the have you seen uh, now my mind is gone have you seen coercion coercion um i don't believe so it's a film that deals with multi-level dream states. Hold on. It's I'm going to write this down. Coercion, huh? I think that's what it's called. It's a modern film. It's been pretty heavily critically acclaimed. It's available in 3D amongst other formats. Uh, yeah, uh, coercion. I, do you know who was in it? Because I've never even heard of it. Let me make, this is probably one of these classic examples where I've given you completely the wrong You're name. not talking about Inception. Inception, that's it. Oh, thank you. Okay, no, I haven't seen it because it hasn't been released on... I didn't go to the theaters, and it's okay. not in 3D. That, are you no, saying there's, there's, a 3D a, there's a 3D version. Oh, really? Yeah. That was one of the reasons I didn't go see it in uh, in the theaters, because, yeah. uh, you know, if it's just high def, I can do that at home. So, I mean, in, t in terms of the plot, it's... The, oh, I the, don't want to hear anything yeah. about it. If okay. you, yeah, because okay. I, I'm no. looking forward to okay. seeing it. Okay. I've okay. already so heard too much. You already have. <laughs> Erase that from your listening. Yeah. So it's um, it's a similar kind of idea that the notion that there are there is an adventure within that is greater than just so it's the idea that there are so many internal states that can be explored <laughs> in this way yeah that yeah. you can actually create a and it's an experiment that i think could be completely fascinating it could be um you know i mean it, it could be beyond something which is is i think well, it could be published, not, it, i think yeah. it's beyond our present ability to articulate Exactly, and, and this is, you know, when I talk about electricity in the 18th century, it's, it, yeah. we're sort of in the same position it with respect to consciousness. So, exactly. You know, but I think yeah. the thing that interests me is it could be distinctly too cerebral for almost every possible reader. Of course. And that's, yeah, yeah. That, that is my only concern with Rupert Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. No. Yeah, well, exactly. but it would be nice if you could figure... I mean, the thing is, if you're really clever enough to satisfy both audiences, then you're a genius. Exactly. But if you can yeah. only satisfy one... Well, if you can satisfy any, you're probably doing pretty good. Yeah, so. yeah. So I think that's that's the that's really the project for the new year, aside from seeing this thing through um, in terms of the 93 writing and seeing where that goes. And there is going to be an origin of the mind book that I'm a part of, and aside from that, it's just going to be the usual podcasts and uh, and other things, and I want to get, you know, additional stuff associated with No Blape Out, because that seems to be going on, 
But this leads into this idea of what you initially talked about, which is the fact that I feel irritated constantly, frustrated, working 50 hours, not getting a sense that I am, what was the term that you used, producing something for the good of yourself? What was the term that you used? Something of value to yourself. Something of value to yourself. This is exactly it. So this irritation kind of creates almost a frenzy of, of over after hours production in yeah yes because you are doing stuff you like yeah yeah uh, mostly in- but that's the thing is that most people come home from the fifty hours a week and watch TV yeah you know and and, and they're still frustrated but yeah. you know but you don't do that that's why yeah. I enjoy talking to you is because <laughs> you're not one of them fucking language monkeys you're using the little time you so you're way better than me I couldn't do that if I had to work fifty weeks. <laughs> A year, yeah. fifty hours a yeah. week, I'd come home and watch TV too. Yes, yes. You know, as all the time I've got to myself, I barely manage to have a coherent thought. You know, <laughs> per hour, if I'm lucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm sorry. So, I guess, I guess, from your introduction to our discussion this evening, my question really was: Are you? in any way empowered to produce or are you as you say just comfortable watching the dogs well i'm uh actually i don't have a final this this is good i don't have a final formulation on any of this stuff you know i've got my theories and my ideas and my explanations and they're all they're all just my story Mm. and i could change that story instantly if i need to and if Mm. it makes sense could you really? Uh, yes, I have. I do. I mean, actually, what I realized quite some time ago is that I don't have to choose between them. That was a big problem, because for years I thought I had to choose one or the other, that I couldn't actually have it both ways, until I realized I that, of course... The dichotomy is here, though. My understanding was what you were saying initially was that you had the ability to change in any number of possible directions, and now you've just oh. created a dichotomy. So I'm not sure what oh. the dichotomy oh. is. Uh, neither am I now. I'm not quite sure. You said choose between them, which indicates that there are at least... There may be, yeah, there may be multiple uh, maps that are all useful under different circumstances. Okay. So but before, I, I, again... Uh, in my sort of primitive linguistic state, uh, and, and I, the way I think most people see most choices, is that they're always choosing between uh, mutually exclusive opposites, or choices anyway, and that, the, and that that is uh, completely a self-invented fiction. Hmm. Hmm. Very heavily reinforced by the outside world. Oh, of course. Well, it, it's one of the. That's why the language stuff is so important. This, yeah. you know, because it's it's deeply rooted in our language, and yes. so from the moment we're born, uh, certain ways of speaking and formulating, articulating experience are programmed into us. And this is what Korzybski was talking about, and and specifically with the verb to be, which is almost the center of our language. Uh, when you really start taking a look at it, you can see that it, it's really meaningless. Mm. Literally mm. meaningless. It's got a lot of emotional impact, and, and we respond glandularly to certain sounds that we hear. But if you look at the verb to be on an information sort of basis, it's literally meaningless or mm. misleading. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, we've talked in the past about Microsoft Word's aversion to it. I see it constantly. I'm not sure... 
I, my suspicion is that this, you need to write at least a, a paragraph or a paragraph and a half before it actually triggers in. But it's certainly in in every version that I seem to touch triggers in pretty well. Well, it's interesting. See, the, what I find interesting is the idea of literally taking conscious charge of your own language machine. Mm. And, and that's just an excuse to do it. So this was an interesting thing that came through our um, Embrace the Irritability discussion because I described this notion that I had written, uh, what was it, 1,100-odd pages worth of finely printed email over the period of time in 2000, you said, well, that, that is in itself very productive because you wrote it down. Yes. And I guess my own, my own feeling associated with that is that I had competent writing standards prior to my time in the U.S. My concern really was not that, uh, not that it was an amazing feat, but that it was a feat of writing down not necessarily just hardship and pain, but just continuous... Um, paradoxes and just creations of other people's psychology that I was being forced through almost like kind of rat race maze, you know, um, metaphor. And this was perfectly documented, as you say, in my own hand in a form which had been pretty well honed up until that state. <laughs> so I guess yeah. the, the notion of um, taking control or embodying language is not independent of the life circumstances that you find yourself in, in oh, some sense. Yeah, I think I consider myself to be just damned lucky. Exactly. You know, the fact that I woke up from the trance of language, I mean, you've heard the story, I guess, about the girl yes. and all that. I mean... The bikini, yes. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is, when you look at that, you just gotta, you just gotta throw your hands up in the air and say, what the fuck, you know? I don't know. Mm. I mean, if that hadn't happened, I probably wouldn't be talking with you today. Mm. But I maybe well, I would have too. Maybe something else would have happened. But mm. but I don't know. I mean, I certainly, you know, it was like just having the hand of fate come through the sky and shake you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I guess I've raised the main issues that I wanted, particularly with regards to transcendent language, because I think this is a in my own. I think we have to in invent that still. Mm. See, I don't think it's here yet. I think mm. that's really what part of of this transition that's going is there is a new language emerging, and that's what Earthling is about. It starts off, at least from my position, of getting rid of the four stupidities, mm. five if you go to graduate school. Uh, but there's a lot more to it than that. That's just, uh, you know, really grossly simple. The idea of actually inventing new language to deal with a new reality is going to be exciting. <laughs> but do you think there's a... I mean, I was thinking about this in terms of a kind of mental health context, mm -hmm. because acknowledging uh, acknowledging one's own internal language... I was thinking about this, I was watching Chapter 27, which is based on the book Let Me Take You Down, which I recommended about... Um, what's the guy's name? Um, Chapman, the fellow that shot John Lennon, and basically mm, yeah, the lead up to that yeah. point. 27 is chapter 27. Ironically, chapter 27 is a film that I had seen previously. I didn't know that I'd seen previously. I watched it, and it was only at the very end that I realized that I had seen that film previously. Yeah. Probably two, three years ago. And it was so, I won't necessarily say it was a bad film, but it was so disengaging that I hadn't remembered that I'd seen it initially. <laughs> yeah. And I watched it in full, much of my wife's disgust. And then realized at the end that I had actually seen it. I've previous. had that experience too. I've had, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a little humbling. 
But the whole element of that is his description. I mean, by, let me take you down. Gives a better. Uh, I mean, he has literally a Senate going on inside his head of these things that are voting and taking, and his whole uh, hyper kind of programming internally is to do with these internal So they're saying, yeah, so they're saying he, uh, he was what used to be called multiple personality disorder, is that? I don't, I don't think, the, the problem with these kind of definitions is that they don't really, uh, once you get to the extent where you are literally having senators, I don't think it was a multiple, he was a coherent personality throughout. The inter, his internal um, or is this term, a single monologue in his head describing no, all these no, no, debates, no, no, no. No, the, or were the, the debates actually independent of each it, other? It, it appears from the description that the debates were independent, but he existed as a coherent external entity through this period. It wasn't that he mm. took on various personalities. He was both mediating internal debates and a variety of other things that were going on. <laughs> and this Plus, has been, this is a serious analysis of his situation? Uh, I mean, it well, sounds a little weird to me. I mean... It is very... Well, I mean, I think he... Look, I, the disturbing thing... It's like thing, a movie plot, not, not, not like a psychological <laughs> analysis. No, it's a, it's a big book. I mean, let me take you down. I think... I haven't read it in... Um, I think I probably read it maybe five or six years ago, maybe... Mm-hmm in the implication of seeing this film, although the film is more recent. The thing that struck me about it when I first read it, I read it on a flight to Malaysia. My mother was based in Malaysia when I was in my late teens, and I would take books with me. I would typically read maybe four or five books on the flight up, because at the time I just... I mean, I, I do have the ability to read of that level, yeah. but at the time I was just... I'd just read through yeah. them, I'd buy them like Pulp Fiction, I'd read them up and I'd read them coming back. I read Rushkoff's work, initial work, that way as well. That was part of probably right next to Let Me Take You Down. But the thing that struck me, I wrote, read Let Me Take You Down again while I was travelling through Malaysia, having read it initially on the flight just to get elements of the book. And um, this notion of the internal, uh, multiple internal narratives and his ability to actually identify these things was described in the book as being uh, an even greater form of mental illness. And this notion that once you actually <laughs> acknowledge an internal language and all this kind of stuff going on and acknowledging it and then acting independently from it is seen or was described in the book anyway. I mean, yeah, I, no, not, I can see how they, yeah, I can see yeah. how it would be construed that way. It could be. And it, so, yeah, I mean, I've not permeated psychology literature to the level or even psychiatric literature to the level to actually understand what they are talking about in kind of contemporary terms. Yeah. I have friends who are, who are psychology academics who, you know, bounce things psychology off occasionally. Psychology is full of, of complete nonsense. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm 100%. And yeah. the whole notion that there are different schools and oh, a wide variety. Yeah, 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 yeah. The so, whole thing is pathetic. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily as Although concerned. I've got to say, there are some great individuals doing great work out there. I mean, there's just no end <laughs> to new papers of fascinating okay. things that people yeah. are exploring. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I guess, yeah, the the... 
the notion of how can one tread this line, describe it to a particular degree where it doesn't appear, it will appear, there will always be a reader where it will appear like mental illness, I think. Well, this whole concept of the language machine that I'm always talking about and saying that the voice in my head is not me. It's created by the voice you're hearing right now is not something Heron is doing. This is something that Heron's language machine is doing according to the way it's been programmed. And it's undebatable almost because when you look at the complexity of what I'm doing or what my language machine is doing <laughs> or what Aaron's language machine is doing right now, uh, the complexity of controlling all the muscles in the various tracks and the, you know, there's a million things going on. There's no way that can be done consciously. You can only. But the same done. argument can be done, can be said with regards to vision. I mean, the fact. Yeah, I know, but I'm. I guess it can be said. Yeah, it can be said about everything, but I'm just talking about language. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. But mm. I'm, all I'm suggesting is that what's going on when, when somebody is talking is not something that's guided by a so-called self. It's, it's programs unfolding mm. according to what's going on around and previous programming. Mm. I understand. I guess my – if we're talking about potential reader here, there is always going to be a, a, a very small readership that will probably read absolutely anything. There may be different people reading different things, but there will always be a small readership no matter what yeah. one chooses to put out. I guess my concern with regards to describing these things is, um, well, Catch on the Rise is probably a good example of this, but I'm just trying to think of other books where, uh, well, there are, there are a number of books, actually, that have this element. Yeah. Um, Almost uh, all of Henry Miller's work is the mm, internal monologue. Mm, of course. So I guess... I guess probably the um, you take readers and you are talking. This was an interesting thing. Did I mention this? That putting reading into Facebook out of half a billion users only got ten million. Ah, uh, yeah, that sounds that sounds about right, actually. Yeah, was it ten million? Was it fifty million? I can't remember. I think we went through it in in one well, of our in America. Best a screaming bestseller is a million copies. Yeah. You know, and that's out in a country of 350 million people. Yeah. <laughs> the sheer acts of reading probably self-selects people that oh, are yeah. considerably more sympathetic to these kind of ideas yeah. than we would probably give them Absolutely. credit for. No, I agree with you. Yeah, readers are a special group. And um, Although a lot of them are reading, you know, romance mysteries. I think they're not really a special group. <laughs> I think they're just another version of Language Monkey, probably. It's, it's a funny thing. I... I of my kind of high school folks I went to high school with, I wouldn't necessarily call them friends. They're just kind of the extended cohorts that one gathers on Facebook. Yeah. One of them now publishes uh, romantic fiction in the um, in Australia. It's called Mills and Boone. I don't know what the equivalent is here, but it's just like you know, mild sex scenes and lots of romantic. And yeah. she's actually quite successful at doing it. And yeah. she contacted me. Yeah, saying, there's a whole big difference between writing it and reading it. Of course, without question. <laughs> yeah. She contacted me and said, it's wonderful that we are both authors. <laughs> and I said to her, it's, it's truly wonderful, and it's amazing that we are both writing completely different areas. We haven't really shared notes to the extent that I thought we would from the initial correspondence. Yeah. I think potentially there is so little then between what she does and what I attempt to do what i stagger through doing that um we probably wouldn't have a lot of stuff to talk about but i was oh, a point I'd love to... to talk to her <laughs> Maybe I mean, it, it is interesting. she um, how many she books has... has she written 
many? I mean, like a I whole series, like six on the order of six or more. Six oh, a well, year. I thought you were serious. Okay, because I mean, a lot of these people are re- read, you know, thirty, forty books. You know, well, she's my age, and she's started within the past, I think, three or four yeah, years. So, yeah. I mean, the anticipation is that you know, give her a decade, and, and she people will- are buying it. So, it appears so. Yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, I yeah, I mean, she, you know, she has a husband, but she lives comfortably, and I think some of that is is from her writing. Yeah. Um, she also has a young family as well. I think she has three sons and is able to produce this work in the evening. And yeah, so, uh, but um, no, it's a curious thing when you talk about the the various niches that seem to be. I mean, there's, there's always the potential to write really quite abstract, I don't know, political stuff as well, which I think I've thought about occasionally, but I just think that my own political views are so unbelievably tangent. that uh, I, I, You know, actually, I got when you talk about abstract political views, as far as I'm concerned, that's the whole the, the challenge of writing about politics is to get it out of the abstract well okay no but uh, yeah. well okay that's exactly right you're yeah. exactly right this is the antithesis okay it's the well, you're right the abstract as i'm using it actually means something which is tangible versus the way that it is in in the general you know uh so yes you're exactly right it's it's a reverse use of the term abstract to mean yeah to mean exactly what you're saying uh but I think the my main concern is um, is the kind of hyper not even politicization, but the potential that I could get on just the wrong kinds of lists. Basically, I think the the ninety three writing I've thought about a little bit in this slide, um, and when it's out in a form that Wait, standard what do you mean get on the right. Or get on the wrong lists. Well, because I talk, I talk about. Ironically, um, I don't even know if this is. I'll put this out here prior to this stuff being available. But my mother um, was a diplomat, and she noted recently that um, Julian Assange, the WikiLeaks fellow, actually is one of the people that I reference in my '93 writing, and. It's something which I find quite abstract in its own right, but if if that was, I mean, if that comes out in some kind of descriptive sense, then everything that is happening to Assange currently could say, well, in you know, the, these this, these are the chains here that kind of link these things together, um, and I think, well, I mean, because the kind of things that I ex- explore uh, in the ninety three writing aren't necessarily kind of mainstream topics. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm i willing to do it. I'm willing to deny... I mean, I, I don't know anything associated with Assange, um, associated with my stuff for a fact. Uh, in fact, I know very little of basically what I wrote about 93 writing as facts, aside from the small number of things that I actually attribute to you know, my own experience of. Um, but it is a strange kind of thing. I mean, I live a very different life. This is the interesting thing. It's the notion of um, uh, a word which you probably absolutely despise, and I know you do, but this notion of authenticity. That no, basically, I, no, I don't despise that word at all. It just depends on how you're using it. How it's used, it. yes, of course. Okay, okay. <laughs> so that's one on. of those reifications, yes. It is very much so. This is exactly the point. So I guess... Um, 
very similar to our friend uh, Jonathan Reinhardt, um, I feel very much, as we've described previously, this notion that I am a, a schmuck to... You know, a schmuck to the the man. I am just, as you say, exactly live, living this dichotomous relationship between my, you know, what I do uh, in the external world and the way that I exist in this strange kind of internal reality, which I also put out to a large extent on the internet. And I think the stuff that I write about in the '93 context and kind of my continued. Uh, political interests and analysis, which some of which I've already put out in this podcast, um, you know, are sufficiently different to uh, certainly the strategic power structures in this country that, I don't know, I don't know if, if putting this kind of work out there and continuing this kind of work with uh, sequels and other kinds of explorations is... Um, you know, is this, I feel this way even with regards to my... I got an iPhone recently, for example. Uh, and the an big iPhone thing on the... Four. An iPhone 4. Oh, I haven't yeah. looked, my, previous, my previous phone was seven years old. I inherited it from my sister-in-law. Let's, to put this in context, I, you know, I um, have lived without an iPhone up until getting the iPhone 4. Yeah. Uh, but um, the thing that strikes me is all my correspondence, all my email correspondence is now going through AT&T. And that actually scares me. It's something that I now acknowledge <laughs> this is an entity previously. I had some control over the way in which, I mean, the final contact that I had was through Cox Communication, an entity that I don't particularly like. Uh, and you just pasted me something. Oh, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Something you said triggered this. Um, if you would like to read it, I think it's one of the most beautiful um, what? What's the word I'm looking for? Paragraph. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you see that that has yes, anything I to do. do with what we were just talking about? Uh, well, to a certain extent. I mean, let me let me finish the thought. Okay. Um, because I think you've you've almost oh you've almost derailed the train. It's her. I, I'm sorry. I apologize. Onto a single track. So, <laughs> well, maybe maybe when I conclude, you can read it out. Um. So I guess I do have real concerns that um, my, my, you know, living in the U.S. as a non-national and having a wide variety of views which are um, distinctly tangential from uh, and the kind of ascriptions that tend to occur associated with ideas of terrorism and information, all this kind of stuff. Um, I just like a simple life on some well, level. Well, you've got a lot to lose. <laughs> See, that's that's a different. You're in a very. I don't think I have position. a lot. To, I don't think I have a lot. The yeah. worst thing, I mean, the worst thing that could happen is I end up in Cuba. The best thing that could happen is I end up in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I know. I'm just talking about uh, your 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 life. The universe you inhabit is quite different than mine, mm. and uh, that's part of I think what's productive about these conversations is Certainly. that, is that uh, we really do come from two very different universes. Very true. But also, I mean, I've, I've had conversations with my wife that indicate that, well, exactly what we've discussed, that there is certain circumstances and a wide variety of factors that would probably dramatically change the way that we live and put us in different positions, even things like losing our jobs, which has happened previously. Yeah. And, um, or losing our health. 
Uh, yeah, you know, more... I mean, there's all sorts of things that just happened. Look at Stephen Hawkins, Hawkins. Mm. You know, I mean, you never know what's going to hit you. That's, well, that's a long story, though, isn't it? What I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm so completely out of the net. What happened with Stephen Hawking? Well, the fact he, that he led a perfectly normal, uh, healthy existence until he was like 24. Okay. And so he actually died or anything? No, 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 no. I'm sorry. No, nothing new happened, but something <laughs> catastrophic happened uh-huh. to him in the blink of an eye out of the blue. I think he, well, the irony is, with Hawking in particular, I've, my musician friend in um, Canada, who actually is like a, a battle rapper, so when I say musician, I'll put that out there having said that. <laughs> he, he uses um, Stephen Hawking... Quite a bit, uh-huh. and he. Um, I mean, uses Stephen Hawking. What do you mean? He he has uses his recording. You mean his he uses voice? his recording, his yeah. voice, a wide variety of things. Yeah, and it's quite interesting because Hawking has this. He's he's like the physics pimp. He has this amazing persona, which is real. I mean, this is the thing that you, as a scientist, he exists, but then he has all these. Oh yeah, he's an icon. Yeah. No, he, no, 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 he's no. More but his, than icon, his, his relationship with scantily clad women and a wide variety, the the whole Playboy bet. I mean, the, the, well, I don't the, know where you get that. I, where <laughs> is that? Okay. You just made so, up or what? No, not at all. No, not at all. So um, I mean, I'm curious because I'm, no, I'm just I'm curious because I've never heard, I've never okay. looked for it, but I've never heard of anything about Stephen Hawking except I've read some of his papers. Okay, let me find exactly the physicist here. So he's out womanizing all the time. Is that what you're saying? No, he is. He's he's a notorious. I mean, oh, really? I didn't know that. That's great. Congratulations. Google him on the internet, and he's surrounded by scantily clad women. In fact, there was an incident that I, anyway. Anyway, let me let me. So um, more power to between, him, man. So, okay, That's so now gross. I'm reading something. Okay. Um, it's between physicists and not unusual. Stephen. Stephen Hawking and Kip Thorne, for instance, had a famous bet about the existence of black holes, with the winner receiving a subscription to the magazine of their choice. Playboy for Thorne, Private Eye for Hawking. I heard it was reversed. So, and the, anyway, my my friend in Canada, who I've referred to in the past, actually, in terms of the the, uh, breakup of our friendship associated with him creating these ridiculous T-shirts, um, he uses Hawking uh, both in terms of uh, quotes, but also he has one of he has one of these uh, voice units. Yeah. Uh, so he actually uses um, Hawking both Hawking lines and like rap things that Hawking yeah. has said in amazingly comedic ways. Um, but the the whole thing with Hawking is that he exists independently. So this is a whole. Side of him that you don't know about. Uh, well, I never, well, I've never really been interested. See, I don't really give a shit what, about his sex life. <laughs> it's totally irrelevant. Well, uh, this is the funny thing. It's because, nice to know, though. I mean, I'm glad that he's doing it. I think that's, you know. <laughs> I mean, the thing is that with his paralysis almost, I mean, I don't know whether it changed him, but certainly, uh, you know, he divorced well, it made his... made him special, at least. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. I guess so. But anyway, so no, he's he's quite an enigma. Uh, I don't. I mean, I I've read his stuff. Um, I didn't. I mean, he's a collator and he has moved things forward in steps. But I think a lot of it. I mean, the the whole persona of like super genius 
uh, his you know his physical state yeah, kind of adds to that. But I don't yeah. find his writing as profound as you know the minor. Uh, I'm trying to think here well, now. I mean, we, like, but no, there, are, there are a whole series of his popular I think writings that, are just yeah. bullshit. Yeah, stuff. yeah. You know, but, I mean, I mean, they're interesting maybe, but he's famous because he's a great physicist. But you can't understand that because, and neither can I, because I don't, I'm not qualified even to speak in that domain. You know, but his writing, yeah, his writing books and stuff, they're mildly entertaining. But, well, I mean, okay, so this is the notion. Can we ascertain the greatness of the physicist based on our, well, in my case, I well, studied Well, we can't. Physics. You and I can't. Because okay. we don't have credentials. We don't know shit. So it's ludicrous for us to talk about that. You know, he's got that reputation. How much of it is earned by, and what other physicists think, that uh, would be an interesting survey. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's funny that you take that positively and I take that negatively. What? Take what? Well, I mean, y- your interpretation of that is writings are poor, he has this popular persona, but we don't know shit, so let's interpret that in a positive light. Whereas my interpretation is, I've read other physicists. I had an interest in reading particularly um, the early dialogue between the, the um, I guess, founders of quantum mechanics, if, if such a thing could be described, particularly sure. with regards to their you know, readings of Kant and this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I guess my sense of that is that uh, you can actually, in their writing, see a quality which you can't see in Hawking's writing. No, because I, I don't think, again, he's, I don't think he's much of a writer or a philosopher. You know, he's real smart in physics. <laughs> you know, he's done some groundbreaking work in physics, and, but you need to understand physics and mathematics to be able to comment on that. Then he sits around and writes books called The History of Time or whatever, and those are just nice popular books that are, you know, that are marketed on his personality and his disease, and, you know, it's a whole business. stuff is is better than his popular physics stuff, I will say that. Uh, So, yes, you're right, you're right. Um, I, I, I should probably say what I say more cautiously with regards to um, what, he's, what he's written. But, uh, no, he's an interesting character, and he's an interesting character for these multi-layers. He, his, his claim to fame in Barbelay terms is that he ran over my father's toe. Uh, <laughs> and my he, father he was came. driving? No, no, in, on his wheelchair. Oh, on and his he wheelchair. Said father, <laughs> um, he said to my father, he, this was before he was, this was in 1980, he still yeah. had speech there. He said, watch out, Cobber. To my father. Watch out what? Cobber, which is an endearing, well, it's kind of an endearing Australian term, which makes it even more curious. <laughs> but anyway, the tea rooms in Cambridge were the, were the big thing. I think we talked about this previously, perhaps. And um, he ran over my father's toe in a tea room. Uh, but, yeah, no, it, as, as we've said, persona is... is uh, uh, how do we even get onto Stephen Hawking? This is one of these wonderful. I have no idea. Conversation things that we yeah, we just ended up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, I no, you said no like idea. Stephen Hawking was read to something. I thought, oh, this guy's dying. No, I don't know, know why I brought that up. You must have said something that made some connection in my head. It's all your fault, not mine. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, but um, yeah, this ability to perceive is uh, okay. So. 
I think we were talking about the notion of the internal and the external, or the view of how do you characterize the internal in a way that people feel comfortably about. Then we moved into this notion that a lot of the stuff that I'm going to be writing on will probably be perceived very quickly to be, well, at least subversive, if not militant in some regard. Uh, yeah, and then I, don't, the- I, see, I don't really understand why you even concern yourself with people's perceptions of what you're going to write. Because, well, I think it, it, there's, there's, there's some potential of notoriety, which I guess in some sense might be a positive. But my main concern is with regards to my personal safety. Well, write it under a pseudonym then. No, I don't want to do that. Why? I think, it's, I think we've answered this question here. Well, okay, well then you're going to die anyway someday. Shit, you know, say what you got to say. Exactly. Well, that's my listen. That's my two cents worth. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I, would I agree. mean, I censored myself too. Uh, I mean, I know. I, I've, I've, there's lots of stuff I say that could be quite, you know, agitating to some people, and I've had people greatly upset by me actually, and it's mm-hmm. a little scary. So in terms of this TeamSpeak three, you've put out a lot of audio. Well, not a lot, but you put out some audio recently from these TeamSpeak three servers. And the thing that strikes me is that it seems to be a congregation of people that are just fundamentally disenchanted. Oh, that's interesting that you would characterize it that way. I think that's a part of it, but I, uh, that certainly isn't the way I'd characterize it. But, I mean, in terms of the self-selection of the group of people, you'd need to, I mean, are there, I don't get the sense that, I mean, the conversations and the quality of the conversations of the people that enter your room are probably quite independent from a general surveying of the TeamSpeak Yeah, threes. I get but, my own, attract my own audience there. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. But I guess the, the thing that strikes me, the, the Freeman fellow, for example, which is a... I don't even uh, remember that one. What? Uh, he was a British fellow, maybe Darwin? Okay, all right, all right. Maybe oh, yeah, okay, to... I remember now. Yeah, okay, I got you. But you yeah. talked about the Freeman movement. Yeah, In this right. country, yeah. it means people writing their own license plates. Yeah, I know. It's just a, a, I, well, you know, I tried a, to humor him. <laughs> yeah, a wide variety of things. Uh, and, yeah, it's so I guess... Yeah, I guess it's it kind of. But see, starts... I think it's interesting hearing that kind of stuff. Without see, the thing is, I never criticize. Or I well, once in a while, I can't. But I mean, I try to, you know, resist <laughs> you the to urge to, to attack yeah. them and make fools out of them. Yeah, you know, and just let them have their say, without yeah. without judging it. You know, and I'm getting better at that, and I think it's interesting. I, I there's a there's one. Uh, descriptor one of my old podcasts is with some Christian guy. Uh, on on talk show, mm. and no, I remember that one. Yeah, and and I I was really proud of the way I handled that. I mean, I was I didn't pull any punches. I said exactly what was on my mind, but I usually avoided, you know, attacking him. I'd respond to what he said and offer another alternative, mm. and and I think that's really instructive. Yes, yeah. I guess I guess my view is that. What we are doing here in terms of recording and inputting these ideas out and the whole part of the project is basically at a completely different group. What is going on, I'm finding coming on currently far more successfully than I ever could have imagined with this model rail radio yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, That's a whole thing, different thing. There's an audience out there for that. Uh, they know who they are. They know what yeah. they're interested in. And yeah. uh, they're there just waiting for you. All they got to do is find out. 
I guess, yeah, but my sense is that that's the same with everything that I, I'm doing. Yes, yeah. It's my just, sense is it's that way with linguistics for me, that, that there's something yeah. I'm doing. It, it's a far smaller audience than this model railroad <laughs> thing right now. But my yeah. hope is that in five or ten years, uh, this won't be such a, a far-out idea. Mm. So that, is, the idea, is the idea that what you want is actually two or three words that people immediately converge on that that you know as as with model rail radio three words people immediately know this is something that i would be interested oh, in I, is that's a good that's a good question and i don't know the answer to that yeah that would be nice if, if yeah if enough people already knew if there was already a word for it see that's the thing is there really i don't think there is a word for this yet that's why i keep saying we need to invent new language I mean, epistemology is close, but that's useless. Yeah. I mean, I guess I've spent a majority of my evenings in recent days arguing that this term artificial life is just fundamentally useless. Mm. And yeah. I think that's the thing that I find interesting. Ah, I think you're right. It's like horseless carriage. Exactly. It's, <laughs> uh, but it, moreover, it, all the baggage that... I mean, it, it's the baggage argument more than yeah. anything. That yeah. Basically, you take on all this additional baggage that has nothing to do with what you're trying to you do. Know, the question is, what can we do with computers that's cool? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But um, so yeah, so many interesting projects, Sarah. So many. Oh uh, yes, and and so so few hours. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're doing a great job, though. I mean, really, I I don't know how you do it. You well, know, I, I gotta hand it to you because I <laughs> I couldn't. You know, there's just no way I could. I'm just too stupid, too lazy. Uh, to something, if, if I had to work a real job, uh, I, I I don't think I could get anything done. I think I'd just come home and watch television. Mm. Where the reverse is true, really, for me, the the well, whatever one would call a real job, is basically so much driving my after hours development currently that I, it actually really concerns me. What happened when I when the company I worked for previously closed? Very similar circumstances. I had slightly better hours. Uh, with the last job that I had, but I was paid a considerable amount less than I paid currently, so it's one of these horrible, you know, either way kind of situations. But um, that, for me, was exactly the same thing in terms of being driven. And when when that company closed, ironically, when I was in Australia, um, you know, seeing my family, I returned and had to completely reconstruct the whole reason that I was continuing to do these things because the other wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. That's and that right. was yeah. an interesting deconstruction <laughs> yeah. of my ah, yeah. drive was yeah. that I, in fact, stopped doing a lot of stuff because I just needed to find a job. Yeah. Um, right, yeah. So I could have that other. And the thing that concerns me is that if anything, if any of these things that I'm doing ever becomes a meaningful success... To where the other is no longer there because the you know I do wonder what it will I mean whether I need the other almost as a kind of competitive um, yeah. but I don't know well don't that know. yields if it comes well that's the thing is you don't really have to worry about it because whatever is so is you know you'll find out <laughs> what's mm. where, where your values really are mm. you know the one thing that did happen while my wife was away was I hit my head really badly Mm -hmm. And I've had certain circumstances when I lived in Australia in this converted double garage, for example, I slipped in the shower once and basically knocked myself out. Mm. I mean, I fell hard, 
Lost Vision saw stars came yeah. to. Ah, I've kind of, seen stars too. I was really surprised when when I, they looked just like the cartoon. Exactly. I couldn't believe it. it. Amazing <laughs> representation of reality. But really, um, that blew me away. I'm going yeah. go on. But uh, I guess these these things with regards to one's own mortality, you know, do strike one. I, I just find these things occasionally, and it reminds me really that um, if everything were to stop at this point, I think I've probably done enough anyway. I don't feel, I mean, the stuff that I'm doing currently is really more, you know, because I have more energy to put in that direction. I think basically I've motivated enough already. I mean, I feel comfortable with that. That's a good place to be. Yeah. That's a great place to be. As as my father would say, it just means that I don't set my expectations fundamentally low. And, I mean, I think that is, is... you know, his own particular interpretation of my analysis of that. Well, but, I've already accomplished more than I aspired to. Certainly. And um, so I really have nothing to complain about at this point. <laughs> mm. Mm. But, um, yeah, I think you've... Uh, but I had relatively gonna... low aspirations yeah. when I was young, so I'm yeah. not saying that much. I guess. Yeah, my, my aspirations were getting out of Australia, <laughs> developing technology, meeting Steve Wozniak, and, yeah, that was about it. Yeah. And, well, yeah, 22. How old, how old were you at 22? That sounds like yeah. a reasonable set of, uh, yeah, <laughs> goals. So, yeah. yeah, and it's it's been gravy ever since, really. Gravy and felines, as I see surrounding me. <laughs> well, I just see my own life in just basically. I just think I'm the luckiest guy in the world. The fact mm. that I'm still here and mm. not not homeless, drunk on the side of the road somewhere. You know. Yes. Uh, um, you know, I just uh, there's just nothing. I mean, and I have to admit that whatever I've got has been my creation, and there's just nobody to blame or reward but me. It is something. That's another point that you raised. That's very interesting because I do think there may come a critical point where what I have done earns me enough money for me to have a substantial cut in the quality. Well, not even the quality of my life because the quality of my life would dramatically improve. But where I would have to basically change dramatically the way that I lived in order to live on less, but in order to live what I would consider to be a more authentic life where I was basically working to my own productions. Right. And I think that is probably the interesting, potentially, within the next, you know, five whatever years, maybe an interesting transition point. Yeah. I, I've gotten it, well, not as simple as I could because I, I couldn't live in a tent with a backpack. Mm. I got too mm. much crap for that. But, but um I've got everything I really, really every, all I really need as far as stuff goes is my information. You know, I'd like the, the keyboard is nice and all that stuff, but I mean, you know, the rest of the stuff is just stuff I could replace if I had the space for it. You get in the refrigerator, you know. Mm. In the have, books, I mean, I'd yeah. be nice to keep the books or I could maybe store them somewhere or something. Yeah. You know, but. I had another curious experience over Thanksgiving. I maintain to blog when I was in the UK. I did so up until probably the second year that I was here. When I'm floating this book next year, I want to put up a site for it. And I have only five hosting sites that I can maintain. I like that number, actually, because it forces me to think very critically about how I actually store my information. Yeah, how are you going to use that space? Yeah. 
So the the thing Five, that is getting that's a good number, I think. It's yeah. a very good number. Yeah. The thing that's getting pulled is the blog, yeah. and the, the blog will then go under barbelay.com, but it'll be reorganized in some fashion. And I was just looking through that information, and it's fascinating to me the stuff that, as you describe, I mean, this has no weight. It's electrons being stored on some server yeah. somewhere. But it's fascinating, this notion of what actually has meaningful value. And certainly maintaining this information is relatively important to me, even but I'll relegate it to some other, um, some other domain. There's but at least nothing the more important to me, anyway, in my life, yeah. really, than, than that. But, you know, yeah. Not being married, <laughs> that leaves <laughs> just my monkey and my information. You know, yeah. that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, the information part, and particularly just the legacy of information, is something that uh, yeah, I, I certainly agree with you. Uh, and yeah, it's actually fascinating to stumble upon again. I mean, there are lots of little bits and pieces. Like I did a photo essay about a cat that appeared in our backyard, which was actually quite detailed and things like that. I mean, just crazy stuff that I did. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'd actually like to persist in some Yes, form. yeah. You still have all that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah. And is it on your website? Uh, it's currently it's currently on barbelay.net slash log, put I think. It in the, put it in the... Yeah, uh, let me bring yeah. it up. Yeah. It's currently actually the main, although it'll, it'll change, uh, it'll change quite quickly, but it's currently the major organ that also funds all my site hosting because oh uh, let's see if I can get in quickly there we go because I have Google AdSense on at all, I think I'll probably strip that off but yeah, people that stumble upon it um, also if they're interested in the topics they'll get some Google related advertising along the side of it but that'll be pulled uh, there we go so and that covers everything. It goes back, I think the first few I do in PDF form, and I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, they're still there. So I saved them as PDF, and they're saved on the site too. So, yep, that's everything. Back so how do I find the one? Uh, the one oh, the photo the, essay of the, the cat. Photo essay of the cat. Uh, it doesn't show enough of the garden, unfortunately. Actually, it does show. I mean, it shows that basically we lived in the terrace house. And, and this little... cat is a cat that just showed up, huh? It was around the, the cats and the squirrels. Because because the cats were overfed, the squirrels were never chased by the cats. So there were just a whole lot of fat cats and fat squirrels that lived in that area. In fact, I used to walk yeah, through the, cat. Yeah. The, back, the back lots of the terraces in order to walk to work. And where was this? And... This is in Wilmslow, which is just south of Manchester. This is where you lived? In the UK, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's nice. It's beautiful. It's absolutely wow. beautiful. So you could just it's... walk out that gate into that meadow yep. and yep. Uh, go yep. for a nice long walk. Oh, yeah. And what's on yeah. the other side of those trees across the meadow? Uh, a series of large... Well, there were a series of terrace houses, and then there were a series of... Uh, kind of larger houses and a series of stately homes as well. Where I lived was um, miners, miners' terrace houses. So they were built in the 1860s, I think. Wow. It was minor accommodation, and it was just beautiful. I mean, Wilmslow is just, you know, un- untouchable in my own, uh, in my own yeah, uh, nice. thinking. Yeah, but I had one experience when I was walking to work one day along the backs of these terrace houses where a squirrel carrying an entire piece of toast... Like not half a piece yeah, of toast, I gotcha. a whole piece of toast, like a like a fin of yeah. um, proper pointed piece of toast, 
running along the tops, and I just realized these are unbelievably well-fed squirrels. Uh, but, yeah, the, the cats were well-fed. The squirrels were well-fed. It was just a beautiful place. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I have nothing, aside from the job that I did there, but, I mean, aside from that, I have uh, really nothing negative to say about the area that we lived in the UK. It was just absolutely uh, yeah. phenomenal. And also the last 10 years of Turing's life was spent there. I mean, it was universally liked by uh, by eccentrics and uh, other related intellectual miscreants. So, yeah, perfect home. <laughs> so I think probably concludes our evening discussion, Heron. I, I have a bit of writing to get on with, and I'm, I'm right out of topics unless you have a topic you'd like to raise. Um, well, you know, maybe I'll just end reading that thing that Julian James oh. wrote, and then we can end it on that. Very good. Are you a, are you a better reader than I am? My throat is a little dry, and the text is particularly small. So I would prefer if you read it. However, I can read it. Why don't I read it? I, I mean, I'm a little self-conscious as a reader. Okay, so. I, I've, I've been forced to read in the past. I'm, I may get some of the words wrong, so just bear that in mind. <clears throat> oh, what a world of unseen visions and heard silences, and insubstantial country of the mind. What ineffable essences... These touchless rememberings and unshowable reveries. Tom, the, Tom, stop. Let me yeah. read it. I can okay. actually do better than that. Very good. <laughs> thank you. No, you, you, thank you for doing that because um, you gave me confidence. If you, got, if you got the balls to do that, I can certainly do it too. Very good. <laughs> now I'll probably really fuck it up, but in Very any good. case, here we go. Oh, what a world of unseen visions and heard silences, this insubstantial country of the mind. What ineffable essences, these touchless rememberings and unshowable reveries. And the privacy of it all, a secret theater of speechless monologue and prevenient counsel, an invisible mansion of all moods, musings, and mysteries, an infinite resort of disappointments and discoveries, a wild kingdom where each of us reigns reclusively alone, questioning what we will, commanding what we can, a hidden hermitage where we may study out the troubled uh, book of what we have done and may yet do an intercosm which is more myself than anything I can find in the mirror, this consciousness that is myself of selves. This is everything, and yet nothing at all. What is it? Where did it come from? And why? Very good. Intercosm. Yeah, nice word, isn't it? I think he made that up. <laughs> I don't know if he did. I'd never heard it before. I loved uh, that. That's the first thing you read when you open up that book. And uh, I was totally captured. I, I thought, oh, I'm going to enjoy. I like the way this. Because his, his writing is uh, is just, he's really, I think, a good writer. So in terms of you having an electronic version of this, did you just, kind of grab the start and get the whole thing, or do you have it saved somewhere? Oh, or no. did you type it out? Um, no, no, I, originally I typed it out. Yeah, all this stuff, uh, I, I've been saving quotes for 40 years. Every time I read a sentence or a paragraph that I thought was really good, I wrote it down in my journal. 
And eventually, you know, when computers showed up, uh, at some point I went through all my old journal notes and got all the quotes I'd saved over all the years and mm. put them into the computer. And this was this is one of them. Can we explore a little bit this idea of saving quotes? Because I do meet people that do it on occasion, as you have described. And it always strikes me as a really curious collecting. Hmm, interesting. Seems to, well, see, because of my OCD and linguistics. Mm, this Whenever, is what I'm yeah, I mean, I can. I don't know why other. I guess other people do this too. <clears throat> I'm not quite sure why, but I would imagine they must have some similar interest in language. When I see a sentence or a, a sequence of words that I think says something quite well, better than I could say it, maybe as well as it can be said. Um, that strikes me as, as a, like a gem. That's a beautiful thing. And um, so th 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 these are all sentences that I don't ever have to, I mean, the ideas of which I don't have to try to figure out how to say them because somebody's already done it for me. <laughs> hmm. At least for that particular idea, anyway. I mean, mm. yeah, especially the short, pithy ones, you know, like uh, words obscure what they don't make clear. Mm. I mean, that's a beautiful little sentence, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, returning to the idea of it being a kind of collecting. <clears throat> See, I don't think of it as collecting, in, I, I don't think in the way someone collects stamps or coins mm. or something. It's, it strikes me. Well, but how about, like, moths or leaves or flowers? Uh, no, I'm not into that kind of collecting. No, no, but I'm yeah, saying, yeah, is it, is it, yeah. is it uh, same finding something in nature versus it, something... You could probably find some similarities, but that's not... And then you, could, you can find some similarities in coins. Well, I guess some people save as a, actually an investment, so that's clearly out of the question. Anyway, I mean, if that, any aspect of the idea of capitalistic investment in, in collectibles is certainly about as far from the motivation for this. Yes, but what you're doing is intellectual investment. I mean, it's just what's important to you, be it money or be it... Well, uh, it's just, to me, though, I mean, I, I've, gone, I've been through this. I've asked myself why I do it, and it's because... Uh, be, again, it's because of my obsession with language and linguistics, probably. And when I find uh, a sentence that's really, or a small group of sentences, or anything that's really well written, uh, I, I don't know, I treasure that. Mm. So, hearing it read in my voice versus hearing it read in your voice, what was the distinction? Was I pausing at the wrong places? Was I... Well, what was the distinction in your own mind? Um, or did you just want to hear it in your voice? No, no, it wasn't that at all. I would have loved to hear it in someone else's voice. The thing is, I've read this a hundred times, and I know where it's going. And I could see that you had no idea where it's going. Well, yeah, I was reading it. Yeah, so you're reading it cold, you know, yeah. and that, and I could, and, and, and you were doing a fine job. You missed, like you said, you did miss a few words and changed a few words. But, yeah. But, um and I want, and like I said, I just I realized I actually knew it, and that you didn't, so, and that even yes. if I fucked up, uh, the fact that I knew it would help me articulate it. I thought better. I mean, I don't Certainly. know. Yeah. Let okay. me. Can I read another couple sentences from something else? This is from Shakespeare. Okay. Which, which is, I, I remember the first time I read this sentence, and I don't remember what it's from. I just, I never cared about. I mean, it, it's Shakespeare. It's from one of his plays, but I don't know which one. And, and here it is. There is a tide in the affairs of men which, 
when taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. Omitted, all the voyage of their lives is bound in shallows. On such a full sea are we now afloat, and we must take the current when it serves, or lose our ventures. Hmm. God, I love that. I just, I'm just blown away every time I, I hear that. So maybe this is a, maybe this is a way to actually, I don't want to use the term entrap, but at least entice potential listeners that have at least similar ling- linguistic sympathies. Uh, in terms of maybe just having a podcast of these quotes. <laughs> well, they can just go to my website and read them. No, no, but you look, I mean, exactly. This is the reason that I'm publishing bio to transcripts, because yeah. people don't listen to podcasts. You're yeah. exactly right. But uh, yeah. aside from that, um, as a means of ensnaring, again, here I'm using entrapment uh, terminology, but as a means of Finding at least it's people like fishing. that are simple. Yeah, it's like exactly. putting out lures. You know. Exactly. No, I've often. Uh, well, I've thought about actually uh, starting doing a blog, mm-hmm. and uh, and one of the things I can do, of course, is go back to my journals and just start taking my journals. I mean, the handwritten ones, and uh, and you know, use it going day by day, and mm. just uh, entering them onto a blog, just the way I wrote them back then. Yeah, and you also have the ability to do some, not necessarily degree of self-censorship, but at least self-editing in terms of probably... Well, yeah, there's all sorts of possibilities. Yeah, mm. I, can, I can certainly omit stuff, <laughs> and I can even add stuff or rewrite stuff if I want to, you know, yeah. Mm. But I haven't got, you know, I mean, it's just an idea. I don't know how committed I am. I mean, because if I'm going to do it, I mean, I have to actually do it and not bullshit, you know. So I, I'm not sure I'm committed to it yet. So what what gives you that commitment? Um, I don't know. I, I never know why I do what I do. You know, mm. I've got a number of projects I work on, and I, I sort of shift around between them. Language is at the center of everything, though, really. And um, you know, there are times when I do a lot. I haven't done hardly any writing in a long time. It's been months. I mean, I write a little bit, but I mean, uh, I go through phases. I'm really taking stuff in right now. I'm reading stuff that's, you know, having some sort of impact on some some deep level. <laughs> and so uh, at this point, and again, I feel sort of lazy and content, <laughs> you know, that I've already done more than I thought I could do. So I don't feel too much pressure to get this stuff into the world anymore. Although mm. I do want to get it into the world, and I think it's important, and I, but that's you know again when I went for the physical, it looks like I got a pretty good chance of going a few more years. So um, you know, I'm just sort of going to see where this goes. I don't really know right now. I mean, yeah. my sense is that that Gendo is, is has got some sort of viable future, whether it's under that name or whatever other ever name, but the idea of the four stupidities of English and teaching kids uh, to be aware of language and to be conscious on that level, uh, I think is really a doable thing and is a marketable thing. And is something I guess could- I guess my point to that is that we have been talking for roughly five months. Oh yeah, and in the past five months. The I mean, I was thinking about this with regards to, for example, publishing deadlines, which is the stuff 
thankfully in my own writing I don't have to deal with but I do well sorry in my own writing that I'm doing to release for myself I don't have to deal with but in these pubs I do I have to deal with so I guess there's an element of my productivity that is motivated externally by others and I don't yeah you're right and that's uh, maybe a downfall for me or maybe not but you're right I don't have uh, the pressure you know I, I can take my time and like I say, that you know, whether that's good or bad, I don't know. I mean, it certainly – I don't think I respond – like I say, I don't think I'm all that smart or all that well-constituted for success in this world. And um, the fact that, that I've done as much as I have sort of surprises me. And I think uh, – I don't think the added pressure would make my work any better, and it may damage me because I don't know if I'm up to dealing with it. So, like I say, I'm more or less content to allow it to take shape and to just keep plugging away at what I, whatever I can plug away at and put stuff out into the world and trust that uh, there will be a confluence of forces, uh, including my own volition, that will uh, turn this into something useful someday in the next, I'm like I say, my sense is three to five years, something like that. Mm. Will Heron, speaking of said publishers, and there's a phenomenon that I've noticed, actually, that if I write, which probably means I won't do any writing tonight, although uh, if I write after 9 p.m., I usually don't stop writing until it gets ridiculously late, Uh and then it becomes part of my dream state, which means that I live through what I've just written for uh, six hours or however many until I wake up again, which in itself is... Is that good or bad? Well, if it's stuff I'm enjoying, it's good. If it's... uh, Do you write every day? Yeah, without question. Yeah. Do you have a like a set side time that that you in a you well? Know, a I'd like to say it was organized, and I'd like to say that it was a lot of it was unforced. Unfortunately, some of it is forced. Um, this current origin of design stuff is very forced, and it involves having relatively mundane, extremely excruciatingly documented arguments oh, uh, with other that participants. Awful. Yes, it does. Uh, it is yeah, yeah. awful, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, but, however, it's all published, and it, it, there's a process associated with that. And that is the worst stuff to kind of enter yeah. the dream state because it just pollutes everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, unfortunately, I think that's probably written off this evening uh, for doing that. I've been uh, thinking about uh, about setting a regimen for writing. Mm-hmm. I mean, is the idea. I mean, I never really thought about it seriously, but since you and I have been talking, that idea has arisen for me. I don't know any. I don't know any authors of any. I mean, basically, my experience with both my parents as authors was that they did that, and yeah, certainly I, the yeah. I know they have to yeah. have this regiment because yeah. really. If they don't, they don't produce. Yeah, I know. And and I've read that. I already know that. Uh, although I'm sure there are some exceptions, I don't think I'm one of them. <laughs> I think <laughs> you know? the exceptions are very, 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 very rare. rare. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, uh, you, hopefully one would just write when one is inspired. <laughs> well, know? that's the interesting thing, because um, the process of being inspired oftentimes can come through you don't always, when you start writing, feel inspired. And there are sometimes yeah. when you conclude your writing where you felt inspired through the process itself. So yeah. it's one of those yeah. it's one of those things where if you will only start writing when you feel inspired, you'll often yeah, miss you never the get started. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in part, I mean, you might start, but you won't. The the procedure oftentimes is about starting in a non-inspired state, moving yeah. towards an inspired state. Well, and of course, uh, the inspired state isn't always that great a producer anyway. You know, often when you get to the editing stage, you realize that the whole 
inspiration was full of shit and needs to be rewritten. You know, so at least that's been my experience, you know. So, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's really about making a commitment. Like, I've committed to the gym. I go to the gym five days a week or, you know, whatever my schedule permits, and I and I do it whether I want to do it or not. It takes three, basically driving and showering and driving home, and, you know, and bef- it takes three hours out of every morning, mm. you know, and I do it. And sometimes I don't want to, <laughs> but I do it anyway. And mm. so I've been taking a look at what would it be like for me to take, like, two hours a day and sit with a word processor and nothing else, mm. you know, and just sit there. And if nothing comes, nothing comes, but to commit myself to sitting there for two hours. Well, sometimes you need to commit yourself to play as well. I mean, I think the nature of writing is not just sitting in front of a word processor. And if you're lucky, you'll be writing in a functional form. Oh, yeah, a lot yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm not suggesting that I have to write them out. I'm just saying I sit here and make writing available to me. You know, the other so, thing that I find is that I will often write in piecemeal form and then only piece it back together at the you know the latter stages of actually the formal writing process. So I'll often, particularly these academic texts, they're about between five to seven thousand words. I will never write five to seven thousand words in even a few sittings. What I will do is write maybe three or four two and a half to three thousand word essays and then put them together. Mm-hmm. So I think the format associated with actually writing these things is not always about sitting and doing exactly the format. Sometimes you will actually do it through play or experimenting yeah. or a wide variety of things. So it's um you know it's an interesting. Well, what practice. I usually do, although I haven't published that much, but what little writing I do is I just start. I mean that's why I use mind maps basically. I write whatever the hell comes to my brain whether it makes any sense or not. I just write shit down. And uh, and then, actually, I use this method for, for constructing my lectures that I've given. And, um, and I, you know, I just sit down and write maybe 10 pages of stream of consciousness, every sentence that comes to my mind about these ideas. And some of them I already have written long ago and already know. And then I go back and start rearranging them and trying to figure out which ones go where and... <laughs> and try to make some sense out of it. Uh, and that's sort of a fun process. The problem for me is the editing part, is when I start trying to actually... It's, again, it's the linearity that I have trouble with. Yeah, that's certainly the problem that I'm reaching with this 93 writing. I put it down, and I read it in maybe four separate settings, and I found one, well, not even a major typographical error, a we instead of a he uh, at one point. But all the minor things that I'm now getting very visually receptive to, so I will do it again when I get the new so one. So you're still finding, I, you mean I didn't catch them all? You, no, you, look, Aaron, I would fire you as an editor, basically. The amount of stuff I've done after you. Oh, no. You did get, no I think the, um, the, the thing that strikes me about really, it is... Really, how, how much did I get half of what's there? No, oh, no. You oh, probably God, got this is maybe, terrible. You probably got about a sixth of... Holy shit. And of the same kind of stuff that, that no, I No, completely it? different. No, no. The interesting thing that I found is... Yeah, is, is there a trend to what kinds of stuff you're finding now? I, did I find most of one kind of problem? And the thing that I'm finding... No, not at all. In fact, you missed, you missed quite a few... I mean, the thing that concerns me and the thing that I found doing this forcibly in three and four separate sittings in order to actually 
force myself to read these things afresh and anew yeah. and make sure at every point of the book that I'm actually picking it up afresh and anew and not reading it continuously yeah. is that you get caught in this kind of trance associated with the words where you miss these things. Yeah. And the, the other thing that concerns me is that obviously even as the author reading through this, because I previously the way that I always tackled the editing process was read it in a single setting. And that has missed, particularly towards the end, a whole lot of really quite striking uh, flow issues. So the stuff I'm finding currently is all very minor. It's mainly um, quotations and indentations. And are Um, these grammatic errors or just rewriting uh, things, just making them sound better or flow a little better? I'd be interested in in exploring... the differences between the kinds of stuff I caught and the kinds of stuff I missed, or or Give the whole process. Here. Can, no, we don't need to do it now. You know, no, 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 wait a minute. Actually, I'm thinking I don't want to do it now. Okay. Because it's getting late, and you said you yeah. got other stuff to do. I don't. Yeah. I'm, I've given up on that now. Uh, Aaron. Okay. Well, I haven't. I do okay. have other stuff to do. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and, well, yeah. Another time, Aaron. Well, yeah. I'd like to do this after the after I actually release this to the general public. Well, so at least I, whatever. I'd others. be very interested in this process yeah. because I thought I, well, I mean, I, I thought I paid somewhat of attention to the thing, you know, uh, and to find that I missed so much is a little humbling. Just, I think that's, the thing that strikes me about it is that um, different readers pick up different things, and my, my my eyes are now so attuned to the form. The main things that I've caught are uh, hyphenations and quotations in the most recent one. Mm-hmm. And um, it struck me, and also um, real sense things. Like there's a section at the very end where I talk about, there's a van that I get into, and I mention the fact that the van had appeared a few days previously and moved me from one place to another. That's not in the book. I don't even know where that exists. So the, that sense thing was just like, how, how is that even in there? And how have I let that be in there when it doesn't actually feature at any other point of the text? <laughs> so this is the nature yeah. of the obsession, apparently. But no, it's a fascinating process to actually do it oneself. And this is the thing my wife says to me as she sees me sitting down reading this thing for the sixth time. You need a real editor. And I say, well, you know. Yeah. The, the, I uh, have- you know, I can see how I would miss stuff like that. Yeah. Because I was looking at a sentence by sentence deal, really. Yeah. You know, whether, yeah. and I would ma- imagine almost everything with a couple of exceptions. I know, I remember there were a couple of places where it was a more general idea about reference. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It yeah. was striking that you only caught one of the two larvae's. That I found quite curious, that you actually, I think, caught the latter larvae, but not the earlier larvae. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, well. And there were various things, because coming into it, particularly your, um, I won't necessarily say relative, because it was all done by text, but the sense that you had found a number of errors, and looking through it, you really hadn't found that many errors, Karen. No, uh, no, no, considering, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. My feeling is if you'd found all the errors, you probably would have not finished the book. So it was a catch twenty two in so associated with finding all the errors. Thankfully, you didn't find all the errors because you included the book. Anyway, I will leave that thought with the listeners. It's been a pleasure as always, Aaron. Okay. Until next week. Take Good night, care, Tom.